You are listening to the all-media year-end roundup from iFanboy.com and Murmur.com, sponsored by Audible.com. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash iFanboy for a free trial and in-stock trades. Welcome to the iFanboy.com and Rumor.com 2009 All-Media Year-End Roundup. I am Josh Flanagan. I am here with Ron Richards. Hello! And Connor Kilpatrick, as you may or may Hi, not. Hi, Josh! Yes! Try, I'm try, I try to match my enthusiasm, if you can. No problem. All right! You will know us from those two websites. iFanboy.com is our comic book website. We read comic books. We are a little bit obsessed with them, but we also like all sorts of other media. And we talk about all that stuff at Murmur.com, which is the website that we introduced this last year on this show. So, as we've been doing, though, every year since 2006, we take one week and we don't do the regular comic book show. We talk about all the other stuff from the year. Video games, movies, TV, music comics we a little bit of comics and stuff that we did this year this past 2009 this end of a decade what a decade it's been <clears throat> just debate on what what that whoa whoa you're I've, right been, I've been holding that cough back for a while before, <laughs> the end of josh <laughs> yeah before we get to the show there's a reminder warning this review show we're gonna be talking about things that happened in all this stuff so if you're worried about it there might be some spoilers we'll try to go light on it but some things you got to talk about a little bit we'll let you know when it's gonna get real bad spoilers or if you're worried at all just just skip that segment look at the show notes skip if you haven't seen a film we're gonna talk about you're worried just skip it all right yeah, yeah. If you want to go, we want to make it easy for you to not have it ruined. Because we're going to tell you that she was a man <gasps> and dead all along. We have a whole lot of stuff to get through, so let's just get moving. We're going to start off with movies because what's more important than movies? Nothing. Right. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. First movie up on the list is Up in the Air, starring George Clooney and Anna Kendrick and the other girl from The Departed, whose name I can't remember because it's weird. Yeah. Uh, as it's directed fear by. Or something. Yeah, whatever. Uh, as directed by Jason Reitman, this is his third movie, the one that followed Juno and Thank You for Smoking, and easily, easily the best of his oeuvre, I think, Yes, as it was. His uh, best film, I think, I think also the best film I saw this year. I, I, I didn't even know it was Jason Reitman going into it, and, mm. and then and then I was sitting in the theater, I'm like, oh, it's him, and, and yeah. Well, it's nice to see a guy uh, you know who, who's who's grown, because I, I didn't really love either of those other movies very much. But this one, it even was good despite the fact that I'm gonna like it because George Clooney's really good in it. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. One of the things about it was that basically, if you haven't seen it, it's about a guy whose job is to fly around and fire people. He's a professional consultant. Everybody on this show right now has some experience with this. And some some end of the table. <laughs> yeah, you know, what's funny is that I was watching it, and A, I mean, like, Connor and I literally went through people arriving in black to mess up your lives. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, who are those people in black over there? It's like a funeral, and it felt, you know, that felt very familiar, like, like you go to work normal one day, and then everything changes. And it's about that, and those people who do that, and sort of the kind of person you need to be to, to be able to do that, and how, you, you know, you shut you're the rest of your life off, and, and the lessons they learn, and blah, blah, blah. And besides being sort of charming and funny in all sorts of ways, I thought it was really, it was spot on. It was, it was really quite touching. And there was, there was the, 
I, from what I understand, they're real people giving testimonials. Yeah, those were all real people. The ones that weren't given actual scenes like J.K. Simmons or Zach Galifianakis, mm-hmm. everybody else, those were real people that had just been laid off. That They had uh, they put a, a call out to – and some city, I forget which city it was. I guess wherever they shot it. And they said, if you've just been recently laid off, you want to come talk about it for a documentary film, come down here. And they came down. They were revealed it wasn't a documentary. And so, but That's they, great. They actually, I didn't know that. That's awesome. But, but those were was, all real people. But they were really powerful. And I mean, I literally – I got teared up a couple times watching those because it's, it's very familiar. It's very real. And if you've been through – as I'm sure a lot of people have, 10% of the country, it unemployment and, and going through layoffs and just shit ruining your life because of bottom lines and, and, and all sorts of things. It is really, is really a powerful movie. That's the one thing that, like, in, so I've been, you know, I consider myself a professional for the past 10 years. I'm in 10 years of my career and I've had far, like, that's the one thing that I would gladly, like, give up. Like there's been far too many instances of having to deal with it. And it just like, it's, it, and they captured the feelings that are around it. Really yes. well, I thought from both sides, and and being on both ends of the table, like seeing you know seeing my friends get laid off, having to lay off people, like like I've done it, all, and it sucks. The, and they captured the suckingness of it and put put it in a perspective that I actually never thought about as someone who does it for a living. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I thought of you specifically, well, your experiences, and they showed that room and it was full of chairs. Oh God! I know. Was, no, oh. I'll, I'll tell my, my in two thousand one, the, the last dot com boom. I worked at an agency, an interactive agency, and you know we went through layoff after layoff after layoff. And one, the worst one of all, of all was the layoff started at ten a.m. and they're going pick, cherry picking people from their desk, taking them to the room, walking them out. Like literally, the person got up from their desk, and you never saw them again, mm-hmm. supposedly. You know. And as this is happening, the facilities guy is setting up chairs in the center of the the big open area for the company wide meeting when the layoffs are done. So by he's done by ten forty five. And we sat there and we counted the number of chairs and then looked at the phone list and saw the difference was like 60 people. Mm-hmm. And we're like, well, that's how many people are getting laid off before it was even over. And it was just like, and you're staring at it. It's in your face and it was just so miserable. You know, so. But all the last stuff aside, I thought it was also Clooney's best film yeah. in terms of his acting. He was a very nuanced character who I think played a lot off his own image. I mean, the whole idea of the confirmed bachelor who never wanted to get married, never wanted to have kids. I mean, he's very famous for that. So there's a, there was a scene, remember, where the new upstart girl who's going to come along the revolutionary industry is traveling with him and she starts getting on him for not wanting to get married and have kids. And that was very, that seemed sort of uncomfortably close to home for him. I've, I've been, but also just his character was full of so much sadness and he got sadder and sadder as the film went on when he realized that maybe his life was more empty than he realized it was. His attempts to isolate himself from the world was was not healthy. It's not as good as he thought it was. And that's why I've been I've been when I talk to people at this movie, I've been saying it's Garden State for forty somethings because it's kind of like he he's been set in his life, he's built up this world, and then something, and then he gets shaken, and he really, what am I doing with my life? That kind of thing. And honestly, I did not see the swerve at the end coming. I did not see it coming. I did. I kind of did. I mean, I figured, you know, he wasn't going to end all happy for him. So yeah, it was a, I thought I thought he was going to get a happy ending, and it was it was a punch in the gut when it didn't happen. Like oh, I, I honestly, I I was I I, I bought it. Which fits. Yeah. Yeah, it's the it's the point. Like you think you're gonna get the job and everything's gonna be okay, and then you're gonna get the girl, and, and yeah, those yeah. two British women show up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, this was great. I lo- I I loved it. I absolutely. It really, loved it. I think it really was the best one myself. Yeah. I didn't see all the big films, and I'm gonna we're gonna get to that later. A lot of the big ticket award films, but for what for my money, this was my best. The scene of when he was teaching the upstart girl about traveling as a, as a business traveler, it was. Spot. It was one scene, but it was perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, even even as a people like us who travel a lot for yep. Comic Cons, there was yeah. a scene where he's complaining about people who can't travel well and too slow. Yep. I, I thought the same stuff. Like you got to have your shoes ready, you got to take yep. your stuff off, you got to be, you know. And she comes through, and she's got her rings on and her belt, and everything's getting yep. going. So, and I know from 
you know, six or seven cons a year, you take your take yeah. all your stuff off, have it all in the bag, ready to go, take your shoes off. And the people who don't in front of you are just like, come on. Yeah, it's, it's miserable. I like the guy <laughs> who's still complaining about his shoes. It's like, okay, <laughs> it's a fact of life now. We all know it sucks. Let's yeah. move along. Speaking of moving you see, along. You should see me at SFO. I've got my shoes and my belt off like 20 people down the line just because I'm ready to go. You know? <laughs> You've, no. You're a person of remarkable patience from yeah. what I understand. Uh, we did a show about Star Trek a while ago and we all liked it then I assume we all still like it I I gotta say that looking at the whole year and there was a lot of blockbusters and a lot of big movies the one that that I was the most nervous about and the one that delivered for me was Star Trek we talked about and we did a whole podcast about this and you can go back on the feed and find it but you know both Connor and I share a strong love and affinity for the Star Trek franchise and you hate to see something like that get blown and J.J. Abrams just hit it out of the park yeah, and he still did. I, I got it, you know, on DVD when it came out, and rewatched it a few times. And it's still, you know, I've watched. I've probably seen it between the theaters and DVD probably five or six times. And it was, it's still, you know, yeah. There are certainly holes that you can drive a truck through, but it doesn't matter because you're having so much fun. Yeah, and don't, all don't the characterizations are great. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. But that's of, not the point. A lot of the point is the characters. Yeah, <laughs> ledge hanging. <laughs> a lot of ledge hanging. <laughs> that's all you're gonna see now. I'm sorry. But now the now the bad the the underside of that is that, is that the sequel is there's nowhere in sight. Yeah, J.J. <laughs> Abrams has announced another film he's doing, which pushes pushes this back another two years at least. Yeah. You know the, so the thing is we've all gotten I feel like we've all gotten really spoiled by you know like like you'll put this you put this dream cast together and then they do three three or four films in four or five years, and yeah. you know that's a lot to do to want to do the same thing over and over again. I guess. Yeah. yeah but I guess they could just count their money after they do it. Mm-hmm. That's what I would so. do. So go back and listen to our podcast where we talked about Star Trek, but we loved it. Yeah. I, I saw The Road, which is, I think, is still in limited release at this point, right in time of the recording. But it is a very, 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 very faithful adaption to Cormac McCarthy's Pulitzer Prize winning The Road book, which came out a few years ago. And if you've read that book, then you know this is a very, very, very bleak Upbeat. film. Oh, right. yeah. It's, Sorry. It's father and son after some sort of unidentified apocalypse happens, traveling on a, you know various roads throughout the country trying to make it to the coast down south trying to make it to we're assuming Florida to survive because that's where they think salvation will be and it, it's very dark and gray and there's cannibals and guys on the road trying to steal your food and your children and eat them and rape them and and it's just very 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 bleak <laughs> but if you, if you like the story it's a tour de force and there's a great little part with Robert Duvall looking ugh, he looks sort of terrifying. He's 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 not a scary person. He's just a regular person on the road. He looks like his face is his skin is basically gray at this point, and it's just he looks terrifying. Everybody's terrifying and dirty and muddy. But there's a great acting from Viggo Mortensen as the father and the kid whose name I don't know, but he's great too. And just you know, one of those films that's not going to make a lot of money because it's too bleak. But if you like that kind of thing and you like Viggo Mortensen and if you read the book and liked it, it's very very faithful to the book. Very very faithful. It's one of those rare adaptations that is that doesn't have to cut a lot out because there's not a lot in the book. And and Viggo Viggo's sort of money. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, you like, know if he's in it, it's probably a good film. Yeah, or at least he's good. Like at the very least, you'll you'll be able to watch him. So I want right. to get to this one. I haven't been able to yet. This is one of those films where the entire theater was silent for the whole thing because it's so. It's just, and the, the art direction is amazing. So you never at any time feel like you're on a set uh, or anything. It just feels like they're in this world that's been destroyed. Did he? Carry, you never know why. Did he carry a sword? I no, I kind of wanted him to. I know. I can see that. Regulus, <laughs> give them a moment for pity's sake. Give them a moment. <laughs> there are orcs, uh, which is a weird, weird thing. <laughs> it was an on turn. Right? Another, yeah. an, another really bleak and dark movie is Up. Uh, oh. Wait, no. I keep getting those mixed up. Excuse me. Up is a movie that I can confirm that makes me cry at 
Oh my god, I'm right there with you, yes. I was just like, oh, that's terrible. But uh, after that, we are treated to a very lovely, fun story about a little old... I don't know why I'm telling you this. Everybody in the freaking world saw this. But you know what up is. Uh, Really? Yeah. Well, that's because you're heartless. I'm not a huge Pixar fan. I'm not not really an animal person. Okay, well, you know, like old people, young people, babies. This movie, I, I mean, I cried multiple times in this movie. Like the, the, it was just so good. It has my comedy moment of the year, the best comedy moment when the, the kid is smearing against the windshield of the Zeppelin at the end, Fantastic. and it's really long, really long. <laughs> and it's a great, perfect sound too. I, yep. I commented last time I watched, it, I was like, that's really, that's yep. an the, excellent sound effect. And the cut of the villain as he's watching it, his eyes just moving, like it just it, the pregnant pause done so well. Specifically, you know, that joke is the kind of joke that gets cut down a lot today because yep. people think they don't have an attention span for it and you know pixar gets to do what they want so they get to play their jokes the right way and i, I remember thinking really appreciating how they played that yeah that, that joke uh, just cracks me up the other thing than that i thought i really like the animation and the physics of the world that they created basically like there's a house and it has lots of balloons on it so that it can float somewhere it doesn't make sense in real world physics but what they did do is they set up a baseline for how everything works there so it all makes sense within its own world yep and it's really neat to just watch everything kind of bounce and to watch the balloons go and uh, just a, a fun movie. And if, you know, if you've got dogs, you'll think it's kind of funny, although I feel the bulldog was miscast. No, it wasn't. The animation was amazing, and it, it, like, I, I saw it in 3D, and I'm kind of anti on the whole 3D thing, but it was pretty cool. I mean, it was yeah. neat to see just the, the, the depth of field and just then the visuals are just amazing. Pixar is just so, so good. And, that, and as, even though I'm a cold, cold heart towards animals, I love that dog. Doug the Doug. dog just totally got me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they did. So. They did ruin that moment in the trailer though, because that's kind of the end of the joke. Oh no! For me, it's the it's the I hit underneath your porch because I love you. I mean, yeah. that's that's like that's I since we say that at work all the time. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's it it totally worked. And yes, they sh- they showed it in the trailer and kind of blew the joke early. But the, that character was done so well throughout the movie that it's become part of like the lexicon now. Yeah, no, yeah. that's true. Yeah. One of my favorite, you know, more indie, you know, kind of lesser box office uh, numbers movie was uh, Away We Go, which was directed by Sam Mendes with a script by Dave Eggers and someone else who I can't remember the name. His lady uh, friend. His lady friend, yeah. And it was just a really nice indie movie with uh, John Krasinski from The Office and Maya Rudolph from Saturday Night Live and a whole bunch of other people about this couple who are having a baby and they're trying to figure out, you know, they, his parents that live in the same town, they live somewhere in the Midwest or it's cold and his parents are they're moving upstate, to Europe. Upstate New York, I think. No, no, no. They're in the Midwest, aren't they? Uh... It did look like upstate New York, though. Yeah, but anyway, but who knows where they are. I don't remember where they were. But their parents are moving away, and so they all of a sudden find themselves with no need to be where they live. And so they said, we can live, literally live anywhere. And they go on this journey where they go visit friends in Phoenix. They go visit friends in, in Montreal and Wisconsin. Like they just kind of trying out, you know, trying cities out to see whether they want to live there or not. And in doing so, they it really kind of, you know, looked on what is home and how do you define home and family and really, really just emotional but well balanced with humor and relatability and stuff like that. Like it, it was just, it was a, it was a great movie. I will so. offer my contrary opinion on this. I really mm. wanted to like it. I thought it had all the elements of something that I would like, and I thought the two leads were very good. But I thought the rest of it was kind of crappy and overwrought. Um, okay, fair enough. I mean, like my, it got very silly when, like the, like they go on the road and they go to one place and then they go to another and they go to another. Each one is like more and more silly, and it wasn't illuminating in any way i thought it was i thought just, that I, I did i did think the maggie gyllenhaal scene was overplayed yeah it was um, just getting by little, quirkiness but, no but the thing is that the couple in montreal with the adopting kids and stuff like that that was that I and mean, that was powerful that i mean like it was 
I see I see that criticism, but I think it was still balanced enough that it worked for me. My third opinion is that I got it on Netflix and it sat for two weeks on my table and I sent it back. <laughs> that, that, that pretty much makes sense. You, 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 <laughs> I'm not surprised. You, you I'm, I'm actually right more choice. surprised that you even got it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, lo- I love indie film. I love small character pieces. I just, for some reason, had no desire the more and more I sat there to watch it. Yeah. I know. I really like Sam Mendes. I really like Dave Eggers, and I've, so you know. I probably had high expectations for it because I like all those things. J.K. Simmons is in it, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. I, I love that, and I like that always works. And uh, C.J. whatever her name is, yeah. but I, because of all that stuff, I, I mean, it was like I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I was I was disappointed. Okay, fair enough. Harry Potter rolls on, and this year there was Harry Potter: The Half Blood Prince, and this was an odd year for me because this is the year I actually read the books. And actually saw this right before I read the book. And this is the film I thought, well, not thought, this is the film that that diverged the most from the source material. And this is one of the rare cases where I thought the movie was better than the book. Interesting. This film did a much better job with the romance. This is the film where where the teenagers started feeling their hormones. And you know there was, of, <laughs> there was lots of there was lots of making out in the dark corners of Hogwarts and all that kind of stuff. And I thought the romance angle was handled much better in the movie than the book, which wasn't bad in the book. I liked the moments better in the in the movie. And I thought the a lot of that has to do with the actors. Who at this point, you know, it's been almost ten years with these actors, so you've sort of grown up with them, and and you, so you feel a lot of affinity towards them. But I thought it might be my favorite Harry Potter film, one of the best ones for sure. And I like I like this one a lot. I find at this point I'm losing track of which one's which. A little bit, <laughs> you know, just between the books and the like. I read the books, you know, I haven't read any of those for a few years now, and all the movies are getting sort of blend together. But I did go see it, and I did like it a lot. Yeah, and this was a great one. And it was funny because I basically read the book right after and saw mm-hmm. seeing it, so I was able to compare and contrast. And there's a lot of the moments in the in the movie that I thought were really nice moments weren't in the books at all. So I thought that's really hurt I, the book. And that I think the book went a little too much into the what I call the Kevin Arnold territory. Uh, <laughs> No, I'm serious. Is the thing that bugged me more about Kevin Arnold than anything is that he wouldn't do anything. He yeah. just sat there stewing and not doing or saying yeah. anything. And I thought that yeah. happened in the book more. Well, the book had over the movie was that the big final battle wasn't really in the movie. Mm-hmm. There was a big ass wizard, dark wizard battle in the book that, that didn't happen in the film. But that was all right for me. It was more about the romance, which I love, which I love because at this point you're just waiting for that, waiting for somebody to kiss somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nine years already, so that was the big release. I'll, I'll offer my con- my contrary opinion that I've still yet to crack open a book or watch any of these movies. Right? Not 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 because not, not judgment, just I have no interest. That is a judgment in and of itself. A personal one. So, I'm not saying it's bad. So one day, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I need to get out of this damn house and go see a movie. And I had a very specific window in which I could do it. And I was like, Well, what time am I going to go? What's available? And there wasn't a lot. And I decided that rather than waiting. An, another hour and a half to go see The Men Who Stare at Goats, I would just go and sit through 2012 and try to derive some joy out of it. Um, but instead, I sat there for about 20 minutes and I went, I need to leave this. And I went down the hall and I decided to go see The Men Who Stare at Goats anyway. This was a good call for me. <laughs> and it started the first of my three George Clooney movies in a row, which I don't believe now, has ever happened. Now, now was because uh, I haven't seen this yet, but mm-hmm. everything I've read is, has panned it. It, it was on... Time makes no Entertainment Weekly is five worst films. Yeah, of the year. yeah, and I was kind of prepared for that, but it's another one of those ones that when I saw the trailer, it's one of those casts that I really like. Um, yeah. And I'll tell you right away, you know, it was not not a great movie. It was very much a Coen Brothers light sort yeah. of thing, but it was a really good cast, and I had enough fun with it that I didn't feel like I'd wasted my time or my money. There were some really fun moments in it, like Kevin Spacey plays the bad guy, like the the sort of jerk. And it's just goofy. And if you just kind of go with it, I thought it was a really fun kind of performance from Clooney, sort of in the vein of like 
like he does in Coen Brothers movies, just kind of yeah. quirky and goofy. Fun. Yeah. Goofy. It, I feel like I like it. I feel like when it comes out in DVD and I get it on Netflix, I'll you enjoy it. will like it. I think Ron, you'll like it. Like it's a yeah. goofy, fun movie, and it actually it takes place now. Like they go to Iraq and they're there, and that can really easily get bad. But it was fun. I think Ewan McGregor's kind of awful every time he does an American <laughs> accent. It's really oh. bad. Yeah, it's again if you just learn to go with it, which is like when he did Big Fish. Like he sucks at an American accent, but you just kind of get used to it and you're fine. You know, like it wasn't anything spectacular, but it was a fun time. It really it's one of those rentals, and for me, it doesn't deserve all the panning that it's getting. I don't think it's nearly that bad. So Kevin Spacey's in it. Is he good? He's Kevin Spacey. Well, because Kevin Spacey, Jeff Bridges, all tons, tons of people are in it. Because yeah. a bit of a, a bit of a digression, but uh, the other day at work we were talking and, and realized that Kevin Spacey has not made a good movie in the entire two thousands. He wasn't bad in any of them. Yeah, no, he wasn't bad, but he did not. Superman, he, Superman Returns was a good movie, right? Yeah, but that wasn't him. It was more. It was about him. You know, I mean, like the, his American Beauty was his last like big star turn. Like K Pax, and like you look at all these movies as a bunch of he that twenty one movie, and and you know and the Bobby Darren movie, which kills me. Like he he did not have a good decade. Quality was. Well, opinion. this is this is not him headlining a movie. It's him right. being a, a part of an ensemble cast, which really which worked. maybe he's better at. You, you know, know who's uh, in this? Uh, Ron Swanson, Nick Offerman. Oh. Wow, very briefly, nice. but I was like, hey, he doesn't have a mustache. He's much less funny without a mustache. <laughs> that should be noted. Um, so to continue the George Clooney tip, so two movies came out this year that were kind of lumped together in the same kind of you know genre esque was Where the Wild Things Are by Spike Jones and the Fantastic Mr. Fox by Wes Anderson. Anderson. Yep. Both got a lot of attention. Both were a little different. Both were kind of more kids almost type thing. After the trailer, I was so sold on where the wild things are, and I saw it, and I didn't hate it, but I was so disappointed by it. Like, it just kind of fell flat. All that buzz went away as soon as it came out. Exactly. It was building a building a building a building buzz, and as soon as it came out, you heard nothing more about it. Yeah, can't play an Arcade Fire song through an entire feature film. Oh, God. it It would have been much better if they did. But... So Fantastic Mr. Fox came out, and uh, one of our uh, the writers that we work with, Paul Montgomery, has been screaming about this movie. It's going to be great. Can't wait for it. And honestly, I would kind of was a little meh about it. Like I'm like, eh, whatever. It's animation. Big deal. And I like Wes Anderson, but I haven't liked him as much as I did in the 90s. Like I loved Rushmore and I loved Bottle Rocket, but I've kind of been more down on Wes Anderson. I actually wasn't even planning to see Fantastic Mr. Fox in the theaters. I was going to wait until rental. Then a friend of mine's like, no, I really want to go see it. So we went to go see it. And I'm sitting in the chair, and I'm just kind of like looking at my watch. I'm trying to figure out what time the movie's going to end. What you know? What else do I have to do that night? And within ten minutes of this movie starting, I was dazzled. Yeah, I was completely converted, and it probably had the most fun in a movie I had I had all year. I had a I had a very similar kind of thing where I was like, I don't want to see that. Despite, yeah, exactly. Despite George Clooney and Meryl Streep being in the lead voices, but I yep. heard Wes Anderson on Fresh Air, and I was like, that sounds really interesting. Like after the fact, and I'm the same way. Like I haven't really liked any Wes Anderson since Tenenbaums. Um, yeah, I love that. And then since then, I've been like, okay, I get, it. I'm over the thing. Uh, right, exactly. Totally and, he, and he writes with and he writes with Noah Baumbach, who I used to love, but is a jerk. And and uh, yeah, but it was the the animation was great. Was like it was. Uh, I mean, it was so much fun to watch. The characters. It was stop yeah. motion with with actual physical puppets, and yeah. all of the effects were real. There was no CGI which is awesome. And just the, the script was witty and, and it was like this world of animals that's kind of like our world but it was also a little kind of whimsical and it was just uh, and it, and I just I absolutely loved it. Like have, I would go see it again and again and again. Have you so. t- I, you know I, I hate to be you know uh, sentimental or anything but I was like I can't wait to show this movie to my son. Like I can't yeah. wait to watch this with my kid. Like yeah. that was what I was thinking as I was watching it. And you know not to beat a dead horse to death but how good is George Clooney in this? I mean seriously. He was, he was great. He was amazing. He was, it was it was, it was, it was George Clooney times five. Oh, it was like, awesome. He was, yeah. And he got yeah. to be a fox, so he just got to take all that stuff out. Apparently, I'm not sure about this, but like all of the voices were recorded together. 
Like all, uh, the, all the acting was done together as opposed to almost all other animation where they just record, you know, whatever parts they can whenever they can. It was really, it was fun. I liked it a it, lot. There was a, there was a, the one part in the movie when they're, they're, the, the whole premise of the movie is that he's a fox and he loves to steal from farmers, but he gets married. He sells down. His wife makes him not steal. He becomes a writer, but then he feels the call and he starts stealing from these three farmers again and it causes a war. The farmers are trying to snuff, you know, snuff him out and it ends up ruining the entire world that the animals have built up and this whole, you know, kind of come crashing down. But towards the end, the last act is them fighting back against the farmers and George Clooney's, you know, kind of rallying the whole animal community and he's saying, everybody has talents. They can all help us. They can all do different things and there's this one character who's like his lawyer and he's like well actually I'm a demolitions expert too and George Clooney just goes since when and then they just moved on and it was just so funny <laughs> the timing was just like it was so like there were just these little throwaway lines and little like George Clooneyisms that were just that that made it so great the little, uh, the little fox's head did not bob however yeah. <laughs> which is a problem have you taken to saying are you cussing with me to people no I have not I'm trying not to but it does yeah, it does it does slip out and it was also very reminiscent. It was like Ocean- it was like Ocean's Eleven, Clooney, but animated and and you know kind of magnified, you know, mm-hmm. which is which is fun. Well, the biggest surprise for me, one of the more fun films I saw this year was Taken, starring Liam Neeson, which uh, is sort of a high class B film, which I don't like to ghettoize films, but that's really what it is. I mean, it wasn't it was. There was a no- major motion picture, but this one actually took the country by storm and became a big big hit. I think it came out on one of those weekends where nothing came out, mm-hmm. and Good this time. one got pretty. Good reviews, and it's it's a really solid action film, B film, and it got it did really really well. They're going to do another one, but the the main thing about Taken is that she gets taken again. Damn it, tie that girl up. Uh, Is is (laughs) the other day I was you know at home and not doing anything, just turns it on. It was on HBO, and just in the middle of it, and just you get sucked right back in because he is a great action star. You don't really think of Liam Neeson as being that way, but he (laughs) he exudes that badass quality. (laughs) Midichlorians. (laughs) <laughs> what are midichlorians? <laughs> well, Jake, I mean, Anakin. Let's not talk about that. You don't ex- expect that from Liam Neeson, but he really kind of looks like he could kick your ass. He, and I think like really... he had like an action. He'd been in a bunch of action movies, and then he became, you know, like, like the, drama. Yeah, but no, you're right. I, I thought it was like I thought it was a it was like a BB plus movie. I had fun watching it. It didn't last all that long, and I was cool with it. And it wasn't there wasn't too much to it. And I think that they pulled away when it was right and they didn't try to milk all the stuff you know oh, yeah it, it didn't it didn't go in too far it was like an hour and a half it just went in he he went he went to paris he beat some dudes up he shot some dudes and then we went out and that was I mean, it was just a lot of fun and one of those you forget sometimes in all these big blockbuster films we see that sometimes the most basic action stuff can be really satisfying and it was really one of those films and there's not tons of cgi and mm-hmm. huge overwrought explosions just he comes in and punches some guy in the throat and moves on and that's punching dudes and that's that's sometimes you just want to see. It was it was punched. totally and it was totally like formulaic, but not in a bad way. Yeah, it was like no, down totally. on his luck, single dad who happened to used to be a badass black ops guy. <laughs> Off you go. <laughs> it's almost a cliche, but the back to basics sort of thing where you, you know, there's too many. So many films are about spectacle, and this was just sort of a dude <clears throat> punching other dudes. Yeah, but you do it without using like low grade effects and, and actors. Yeah, yeah, and that's but good people. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of people, did either you guys see Funny People? Nope. No. No, I didn't think so. This was Judd Apatow's <laughs> directed movie that came out earlier this year, and it was a movie that I initially would have wanted to like. I thought it was like a, one of those trailers that gave away everything in the trailer, and that kind of pissed me off. But I went to see it, and I actually really pretty much enjoyed it. I, I liked Adam Sandler in the role of this, basically it was himself, and they managed to incorporate all this old footage of him 
that they used in the world of the movie where Adam Sandler like went from being this really funny stand-up comedian to you know starring in big dumb movies like like the big one was like Porpoise Boy or something like that just stupid <laughs> movies that he became insanely rich from but he was the same guy and in the mean like there's Seth Rogen plays a, a young stand-up comic you know who becomes his assistant, assistant basically and the first two acts of the movie I thought really explored the weirdness that is stand-up comedy and the people who practice it. And I, I used to be a really big stand-up fan, like in the eighties and nineties, like when I, you know, late eighties when I was like a like twelve or so, like I loved stand-up comedy. It was my favorite thing on earth. And I got away from it because this, you know, stand-up comedy changed at some point. You remember we used to have like improv was on every night and you know the half hour comedy hour and there was like a lot of yeah, stand-up comedy. Yeah, I watch all those things. Do you remember too. Comic Strip Live yeah. on Fox? Yeah, yeah, no, I totally do. And whenever I see the dude who. I was like, hey, that guy was on Comic Strap Live, but like yeah. nobody, you know, Wayne something. Like nobody remembers that stuff anymore. So, Jake Johansson was they, one comedian was that one I loved. Uh, he was great. He was, yeah. And was I, cool. I loved that stuff. And I thought that this really got into who those people are and messed around with it uh, a lot. You know, Jonah Hill and Jason Schwartzman are in it. And I, you could very easily say you've had too much of those people, but they were good in this. And Seth Rogen was pretty good. I thought that it fell apart at the end a little bit because like there was a whole act at the end that kind of wasn't necessary and didn't need to be there. At least for the part. It was like an, it was like was it two and a half hours? It was really like long, that? and and I can totally say that. But I loved the the first you know half to two thirds of it a lot, and I really liked what it was saying. It was just my kind of thing for that part, and you know the, the end wasn't bad. It just it just it changed basically. I was thinking the other day that I really enjoy the films that Judd Apatow produces. Yeah, yeah. The films he directs and writes, I don't really enjoy them all that much. Mm-hmm. But the the ones he his his company produces like Superbad or. Or I love you, man. Or forgetting Sarah Marshall. I love those films, but yeah. the other ones, I don't. Once he makes himself, I don't really like. When's the, when's the Russell Brand movie coming out? It's being shot right now. I can uh, do they shot it already. I thought. Yeah. See, I could do without that. I, I'm so. Uh, that's what I'm excited for. But yeah, like, it's gonna be great. The other the uh, stuff, we, I'm not. We have different tastes. I yeah, think exactly. it's become apparent. <laughs> so um, speaking of so speaking of uh, so the movie uh, movie came out this summer called Five Hundred Days of Summer, which uh, we actually uh, talked about on the Murmur podcast when it came out. And this is a movie that the trailer hit early in two thousand nine. If there ever was a movie that was made for me, it was this movie. Uh, Jonathan Gordon Levitt starring in it. It was Zoe Deschanel starring in a kind of romantic movie with and there's you know you know music that I like was in it and it was very kind of up my alley story wise. I initially saw the movie and I was disappointed in that I th- I built up I think I built up the expectations for it and you know and, and was overly critical on it i've had some distance i've had some time since that happened i i watched it again on a plane on a, when i was flying across country and I, i'm i i did like it in the end it was a movie that i was glad i saw definitely unconventional in its story in what it was telling you know great music i thought the acting was great the storytelling device was great and so while i initially had a pro it's it's for me the story is is that i built it up to what i wanted it to be and when it wasn't exactly that i got pissed you sound like star wars fans (laughs) (laughs) but you know it's not hard for us to sound like (laughs) <laughs> no, not, not at all. But you know, Jonathan Gordon-Levitt was was really good as his character, and and actually, I actually ended up not liking Zoe Deschanel as much after seeing this. And who is, who is that Jack. you're saying? Zoe Deschanel. Oh yeah, that's it. Oh, I'm sorry. I I really liked this a lot when I saw it. I didn't have yeah. it built up in my head, so I didn't, I went in with no expectations. And I, the best thing I can say about it is it fucked me up for days. Oh well, the thing is, is that the th- and and it's funny because I kind of I think we talked about I talked about several other people. The story hit. Far too close to home. Yes. It, it, like there were several moments in it where you're like, I've had that conversation. And it was like a little uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I saw when I was on vacation at the beach yeah. with no internet or, or really hardly any television and nothing to distract me from my head. 
Yeah. So for days, <laughs> which is the goal of my entire life, by the way. Yeah. For days, I was just th- you know just you, after seeing this movie, you just start re- if you're like me at all, and I guess Ron, you just start replaying some yes. past oh, relationships yeah. and every over and over, and I just oh my it, god, it, it, and, it, and that's horrible. But at the same time, that's a sign of a good good piece of art. That's really yeah. really affects you on a personal level. It hits so close to home that I told someone that ah, it's crap. Don't watch it. <laughs> just <kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> distract distract <laughs> but yeah no but at the end of the at the end of the day like i'm gonna buy it i, I want to own it like it, it was a fun movie and it had great music too yeah, yeah it was a good film another big film that came out that we did a whole show once so we won't go too too in depth was Watchmen. we did a whole podcast on that it's not surprisingly and and ignore it and I see, you can't ignore it and i'm seeing it again on dvd since since then i i think it's still as good as i liked it when it originally came out and i watched the extended version which had the extra footage and i thought that was a really much stronger version. I mean, yeah, it makes it almost three hours long, but you know, the scenes they took out were really good scenes and really fleshed out a lot of the story. So that was, I think, as a, as a movie, the longer version is even better. I haven't yet watched the ultimate version, which concludes the animated stuff. I don't know how well that's going to work. That might be too much. I find myself like not disliking anymore, but I don't really feel any need to go back and watch it anytime soon. Well, it's it's funny because I actually like when we were about to record this, I assumed we weren't talking. I, like I, I we, we we talked about what movies we were going to talk about, and for some reason I don't. I thought we this didn't, wasn't going to be included in the discussion. I'm like, oh, I guess we have to talk about Watchmen. I'm like, uh, okay. And then I saw that you included it. I'm like, okay, good, we got it covered. But like, I didn't feel any desire to talk about it or to marvel about it or to rave about it like i saw it in the theater i, I still don't know i didn't buy it yet i will buy it eventually but like i haven't when it's, wa- I, it's eight bucks right yeah exactly well, that's in line with our review originally it wasn't yeah. that yeah, it was fantastic exactly. that yeah. it was good yeah no, there's yeah. nothing to complain about it wasn't an overly glowing review originally yeah, and anyway. it's funny because what it does is it it sets you up to the point where you you, you ever people were going against it because it failed i mean like, it should be noted you know like oh yeah it, it made a it, it killed. It, it killed the chances yeah. of any of you getting high budget versions of your favorite superhero comics that are not DC or Marvel. I mean, really, yeah. I think it's going to have long lasting effects in that way. But by saying I don't think it was that bad, you end up defending it, and then at the end, I go, I don't really like it all that much. But right. no, I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. I just didn't think it was like uh, you know, it's not like Dark Knight worthy or, or Star Trek on that level. No, but yeah. I, I think I think it was a really good film. I bought two versions of it. That's yes. how much I like. It's as good. As this movie could have been, I feel, but it was sold as something else to everybody, which created yep. mass disappointment. Yeah, 107 million domestic. That's it. Ooh. That's it. How 77 it? foreign, 185 million total. So it lost yeah, money. Yeah, the production budget was 130. Yeah. Wow, wow. So it totally lost money. No, it is, when you when you factor in marketing yeah. and yeah. fuzzy yeah. Hollywood accounting, it totally lost money. DVD, oh. though. I mean. Interesting. Oh, well. That's why there's 18 versions of it on DVD. Yeah. Um, one thing that didn't disappoint, even though we waited for a very, very long time to see it, was Inglorious Bastards. This was one that is the moment that I knew that it was coming out and I knew what it was. I was so glad that the trailer didn't show me anything because I didn't want to know anything because I was already sold because it was Quentin yeah. Tarantino doing a movie about World War II. What I didn't know that it was going to be was sort of an alternate history take, <laughs> and I loved that because once <laughs> I realized that we are not on. We're, the Planet real Earth. world isn't happening, then <laughs> anything can happen. Yeah. And and it was great because of that. One of the choices that people may or may not have liked about the movie was that Brad Pitt playing, I forget his name, Aldo something, yeah. and the bastards themselves were not in the movie very much. Yep. The movie almost wasn't about them. It wasn't, but the thing was is that it made it so that every 
every single second they were on, which could not have been more than 10 or 15 minutes, was pure, absolute gold. And they were peppered in there in just the right way. And it was a Quentin Tarantino movie in the fact that it's not a modern movie. It's not. It was a, It was an old-fashioned movie. And in the first couple of scenes with the, the Nazi talking to the guy at the table with these long great ridiculous uh self-indulgent takes that just went on forever in and, french in french and in german all the, all the language authentic yeah. yeah yeah oh it was and it was the guy who played the nazi i i should probably have done more research but if you saw the movie you know what i'm talking about it was spectacular he's got to get nominated he he that yeah. he was amazing he was um, great it was just an it was just a complete absolute fun movie it was like two two and a half hours long and i didn't care this was easily one of my favorites of the year and i think this is, you know, this is Tarantino's best in a long time. However, I don't think it's a movie for everybody. It was a movie for, you know, people who really like Tarantino or really like me. Like, I didn't really like Kill Bill's either of them all that much, but I yeah. love this. This is his best movie since Pulp Fiction, as far as I'm concerned. I think so. I'm going to yeah. go with that, I think. I have a short list of films that I'm really pissed that I didn't get to see this year. This is, this is on top with The Hurt Locker and Paranormal Activity and, and Zombieland. And this is... Yeah. Those I are should, the, those oh, are the five films I was really pissed about not seeing. And this yeah. is a theater movie. This is a movie that's meant yeah. to be seen in the cinema. I saw, I, saw it, I saw it at the Castro Theater here in San Francisco, so it had that big movie house kind right. of feeling. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, uh, so. Very much so. And, and just fun and and. And like interesting and it's all the pieces you know but you don't know what's going to happen yep. great stuff i as well as i think you guys as well are big fans of uh, british comedies and and things like that and and at the beginning of the year it looked as if pirate radio was going to be the kind of british import movie of the year for me and that one ended up really disappointing it was just it was average at best but didn't didn't expect at all out of nowhere the movie in the loop Gets my word for the best British comedy or, you know, the best, you know, kind of imported movie that I saw this year. I saw the trailer in the spring and it's a political comedy about, you know, diplomatic relations between the UK and the US around war and stuff like that. And it was just, it, I, it was so much fun to watch this movie. The dialogue was just so fast and had that British, you know, wit about it. And, you know, and there, you know, people that you recognize are in it, like James Gandolfini's in it and David Raish, who played Sledgehammer, was in it. You know, so they're recognizable. And, and actually, <laughs> The return of Anna Chomsky, the girl, the girl from My Girl. Uh, yes, she hasn't acted in ten years, something like that. So it's her first movie back. But no, no, she has. Has she? Oh, okay, well, yeah. it's her big comeback or whatever. That that's they're all stuff. Lifetime shows. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it didn't matter who was in it. It was all about the story. It was all about the dialogue, all about the jokes. And it ran a little heavy on the pop culture references. That was my only real criticism of it. But aside from that, it was it totally was my British comedy of the year. Interesting. Yeah. I wanted to say that I know her filmography because I just looked her up because I just saw her on something. Couldn't figure out who she was. So I just yeah. – the other day, literally 24 hours ago, looked her up on IMDb. This, oh, is how, this is how the iPhone has ruined all movie and TV watching for me. You know, speaking – I had my laptop. So that's who is that? You know, you know I, was, I, was at a, I was at an event the other day and I was talking to somebody and we were on an earlier Murmur podcast. We were talking with Mike Romo about home theater technology and Blu-ray. And this guy's telling me that he saw uh, an IMDb integration into a Blu-ray player that's networked. And as you're watching the movie, you just hit the thing and, and along the bottom strip, you can find out where it was shot, how much the budget was, who, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool yeah. That, right? oh. oh, the who's that guy game? <laughs> what was that guy in? Oh, oh wait a minute. Tyra's mother on Friday Night Lights is Wyatt Earp's wife from Tombstone. Oh. <laughs> yep. so. That is awesome. Yep. All right. I have to change my pants. Finally, in this segment, Adventureland, which turned out to me a uh, surprise of the year, mostly because I didn't expect to see it. I literally saw it because I had two and a half hours to kill. <laughs> and that was the only thing showing at that very moment. So I saw Adventureland. It turned out to be a great little film. Absolutely. And one of those, it's a comedy drama, dramedy, if you will. 
uh, from the set in the 80s, it's not like, hey, look, we're in the 80s. Here's the clothes and the hair and the songs. It's just it felt very organic, and it was just happened to be a film in the 80s. It could have been any decade, and it wasn't one of those things where there's, it's a period piece that's so in love with being a period piece. And in that sense, it was just from that, just from that sense, it was a great film, but the performances were fantastic in it. It was totally unexpected, very nuanced, very thoughtful. Subtle. Very subtle, very, very subtle, which is probably why it wasn't you know, super bad level uh, business in the box well, office, but it was... And that's one of very, very, very good film. The trailer made it out to be like it was going to be super bad. Yeah. And it was not that at all. It was the opposite, where super bad was, was over the time. Very, very funny. I'm not making fun of that movie. I like that movie a lot. Very, very funny. But this one was very thoughtful and very realistic. This is the kind of movie, and every once in a while these movies show up where I walk out of it and I just think, frig, I should have written that. You know what I mean? Just not, in, and I don't mean that in a bad way at all. I just mean like it's the kind of thing that I really connect with. Um, I love that kind of movie. And they didn't they never make a ton of money. But it's funny because I don't know nothing about Twilight and the girl who's in it is apparently in Twilight. And Kristen so, Stewart, yeah. Right, and she's like a joke because she's in Twilight, but I was like, she's good in that one thing I saw her in. You know? Yeah. Good stuff. And she, was in, she was in that In the Land of Women movie. Yeah, she was. Yeah. She's yeah. good in that too. And it was very good. If you were all were in alive and remember the 80s, and that's you need to see Adventureland. It's, it totally will take you back. Uh, to that weird time. Ooh, you know who was awesome in that too was Martin Starr, who you know he shows up a lot since Freaks and Geeks. Um, yeah, but he's not. Everybody went. Everybody was awesome in it. Ryan Reynolds playing a very non-Ryan Reynolds role. Absolutely, absolutely true. He was not the cocky, swaggering dude, although he was, but he wasn't in the way he normally is. Right. Yeah, and he played. Yeah, he played a character you weren't supposed to like, or you weren't sure actually. And yeah. then in the end, it was good. And really the lead nice. guy was great. Who at this very moment I can't remember his name. Eisenberg. Was Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg. Oh, he was in Zombieland too, and he was great in Zombieland. Who looks exactly like my old roommate? (laughs) (laughs) You know who I'm talking about, don't you? Yes. I was like, that's Nick in this movie. He was in History of Violence also. Uh, Cool. So those are the movies that we enjoyed. This year, I made an effort to say every Sunday I go to the movies, and I didn't do it every Sunday, but I got to about I got to over 30 movies this year. I saw way less this year than normal. The last few years we've done the show, I saw more. I saw I saw more this year than last year, but not as many as my heyday. And I'm all done with going to see movies all the time now. So I'm turning around 2010. Yeah, dude, I tell you, Sunday night you got to dedicate a time. You know what I mean? Like it's it's some Mad Men's on. Well, it's not, that's only 13 weeks. I watch, I, actually, my routine was go to the movie, come home, watch Man Men. So there you go. Yeah. All right. Well, All right. Speaking so, of. Having a yes. baby. Speaking of TV. So we also watch a lot of television in addition to movies. And TV is one of my favorite things to watch. And this year was the year that I got on board at Mad Men, which what else can be said about Mad Men? I, I don't really even feel we need to talk about it more. We talk about it on this podcast a lot, the Murmur.com podcast. But Mad Men, I got on board. I watched season one, watched season two. Season three was awesome. Great finale. Love the show. I wish I was Don Draper. Best show on television. Best show we've seen yep. on television in a while. I think we all agree with that. Yep. Uh, Better the than last, The Sopranos. The last three episodes of this third season were the finest television uh, you know that I since for me since The Wire. Yep. That's the end. In terms of craft, I put it up there with The Wire. Was in the last 10 years, those were the two best craft shows. Now, I mean, we're getting into favorites and things you like to like in, in a minute, but... You know, in terms of television, acting, writing, directing, art direction, everything you can think of that's craft related, this is the best show on TV, bar, yep. bar none. Yep. It blows everything else away. The last three episodes of Josh were fantastic. But, I mean, if you want to get into what my favorite show on TV was, then, now, then, then we're getting into Glee. Well, best new show goes to Glee. In my, no, my yeah, favorite yeah. show on TV is Glee. Okay, if, fair enough. <laughs> if, if, Would if you I, if rate it a four or a five? <laughs> if Mad Men and Glee were on the same time, I'd watch Glee. I mean, that's interesting. Yeah, Mad Men is the best show on TV, but my favorite thing to watch is Glee. Yeah, Glee has been Glee has been such a wonderful gift this year that did not see coming at all. 
unexpectedly huge yeah. hit. I mean, this yeah. is a show when the pilot aired early in the year. I thought, wow, that's going to be a great show that we'll get on DVD. Yeah, <laughs> yep. that's that's never going to go anywhere. We'll have a nice one season. I think I even said it after we watched it. We'll have a nice season one DVD set when that's yeah. all said and done. But uh, for, for whatever reason, the show about misfit high school kids who sing is a big hit on on Fox, and it's, it gets about nine million viewers. Jesus. Once you add up, once you add the DVR numbers, it gets eight million watch it live, and then another one point two watch it on DVR. Yep. And, it, and the numbers kept going up too all season, which is interesting. Normally, the numbers you know start big and go down. There, there's it, something there's something really exce- that makes the show accessible, and I think it has to do with the music. That is, they're, they they've been very strategic in the music that they picked. In that they've they've combined a, a combination of contemporary, current songs that the masses. The, the, those are the songs that I don't know. <laughs> that, that that people you know so like the the Beyonce song and the, the, the hip hop stuff and stuff like that they they've done that but they've combined that with classics and like stuff that we love you know like even the first episode the moment that did it for me is when they perform you know Don't Stop Believing and it's that combination pulls in I think it's pulling in younger people it's pulling in older people and then on top of that it's got a great story the writing the story arcs there have been a couple of weak there were a couple of really strong episodes and then there have been a couple of weak ones in my mind as they as they I think they've fall into the trap of we've got a great concept we got a six issue six issue six episode order let's re- make this great story and then now at episode seven we don't really know what to do with it well i, I mean if you look at the first season or the first half of the first season what they're yeah. calling it it's a finished arc yes an arc to the story and i think i really think like we did they didn't think they'd get a full they yeah. didn't get anymore i thought they should get these 13 and get canceled so they they, they gave a complete story so if you just yeah. watch these you'd have a full arc so now but, now the question becomes now they've got more Will they have more story to tell? Which they probably will, but it's just you, you had a full on arc here. It all, it, it all didn't work, but I think the enthusiasm really carries it through. It's the exact same thing that happened with the OC all those years ago is that, they, that, that they did four ep- episodes. They didn't think they were going to get anything more. It got picked up and became a hit, and they're like, oh crap, we got to figure something out. And they put out a subpar second half of the first season. I'm hopeful that the second half is going to be just as good as the first, and I think it will be. I honestly do think it will be. Yeah, I think really what connects it, it's unironically joyous. Yep. It's full of snark and it's full of you know the typical modern humor, but at the same time, all the music stuff that's all unironic. Yep. It's all it's all about joy, and I think that's really why people connect with it because so it, it's it's so unlike other stuff on TV. And there's just stuff like like it's so funny because like they they had the core group of kids that were singers, and they realized they needed to pat. Once they realized they're going to make a show, they need to make the Glee Club be bigger, and so they figured out ways to get other people into the Glee Club, and they just added these two guys who were like the dancers. And they never, and you know, and one, one's a black guy, one's an Asian guy, and they never spoke. And I remember talking to my sister, and she's like, "Yeah, who are those random guys?" And stuff like that. Then, then they slowly started giving them lines. And then in one episode, somebody actually referred to the Asian guy as other Asian. Yeah, like, it was just like like they're aware of what they're doing, yeah. but it doesn't d- take away from the story, you know. So yeah. it's it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Now, Josh, you came on late to Friday Night Lights, and now you love it. Six words, people: clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Oh yeah, I got bit. I got bit hard. I think that's fair to say. Uh, I I started watching them on Netflix. I put them on my queue forever ago because I. It's like Friday Night Lights is one of those things that has been in the background that I've heard people say like it's really good. Oh, I've been saying it's one of the best shows I, on TV. For I know years. you have, but and a few people have, but not a lot of people have. It's shocking. I I looked up how the ratings are and I was like, oh my god, like no, no they're one, horrible. No one watches this show, and I think part of it has to do with like on the surface you you're gonna you're gonna sell me a show and it's gonna be out of a, a small town in Texas about football. I don't want to watch that, and I think oh that's what I gave up was because it, on the surface it, it seems like it's a football show, and there's a lot of football in it. There but is. it's not about football, and and that's fine. I don't even mind football all that much, but I, I'm not gonna be. I love football movies, oddly enough. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, any given Sunday is fantastic. Um, 
but I started watching it, and I and it it took me I'd say six or seven episodes, I guess, before I maybe started paying attention or what it was. But what you get in the meantime is this wonderful portrayal of of teenagers in this small Midwestern town. Ron, I think you would really like the show. Yeah, yeah, I, I just can't get over the football thing. No, it, it really it's not important. It's not. It's it's about the the kids at the high school and the relationships and the dating and, and yeah. a little you'll bit. You'll get over it. Because you'll get like you will trust me. Like Lindsay hates uh-huh. football. She's watched, my wife has started watching, so I watched through it again. And it just there's fantastic characters. It suffers from a little bit of that. Like half of the teenagers are like clearly in their late twenties, but you don't care because <laughs> yeah, their characters are so much fun, and the acting is pretty good. The acting is really good on, on a lot of the characters. Some really fantastic characters. I literally can't get enough of this show. This fourth season, which just started, it's weird because it's on Direct TV. But it's the same thing happened with the third season, I think. Yes. Uh, DirecTV first, and then it goes to NBC later. But I've been downloading them because I, I can't wait. And, and DirecTV won't stop sending me things to sign up again. And so screw <laughs> them. No, but it, it's a great, great show. Some of my favorite characters, I got to say, like Coach Taylor and, and his wife are my favorite married couple. They're the best married couple on TV. They're fantastic. And like you, yeah. you cannot watch this and not like Coach Taylor. And and love the yep. way that he I, I like for me him and and Landry are my two favorite characters. But Coach Taylor does such amazing off the ball acting, and what I mean by that is that he he doesn't say anything half the time. He does all of this quiet acting, and like they give him so few words to say because he's a certain way. And you just got he plays the whole thing with his eyes and with his face and his body language, and the, and to see the way that he acts when he's being the coach on the field, and the way that he acts with his family the rest of the time, it's fantastic. It's funny because it. I mean, it's a network TV show about teenagers, and there's funny stuff that happens. Like remember the the kid from season two who Buddy adopts. Who just disappeared, yes. <laughs> never yeah, to be mentioned right. again. And like, there's yeah. a whole storyline that happens in season two that people really didn't like, and they just dropped it. They have never mentioned yeah. it again since then. And it's fine; you can go through it. But even like the worst stuff isn't bad. Uh, and so this season is like a whole, almost a reboot. You could pretty much start from season four. I wouldn't, but uh, you could. Uh, and and they're because they're like in a new school and everything is different. And it's been really fun. They've had to get a whole new cast of kids mostly, and then sort of fudge the numbers on some of the old ones to keep some of them around. I love this. This is my I'll, favorite thing on the air right now. Based on, I mean, you guys love it. I mean, the T, the TRS guys love it. I mean, like, I've heard so much good stuff. I'll add it to my queue, but the fact that Netflix instant uh, streaming just added all of Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations is probably going to get in the way. Yeah. No, no, but, but this is a storyline. No, I, I know, I know. This is knock yeah. them down one after another. And the thing is, is each season isn't 20-something episodes the first no they're short yeah. the first one's like long the second one's shortened because of the strike and then the third and fourth are both 13 i think all right i'll give, one a more. I'll give it a shot so, so freaking good great writing apparently and the other thing i looked it up because i have not been making any attention to it is that the cast has won emmys like every year yeah for being the best cast which is dead on well it's interesting about the show is they, they don't shoot it like a normal tv show mm-hmm, they shoot no. it with like three roving cameras, and they don't have they don't have blocking, they don't have marks. They just say, and a lot of it's improv. They just they just yeah. say, you act. Don't worry about the cameras. We're going to catch the action, and then, and then it's sort of like all an improv troupe. They don't they don't have you know spots. They don't have to hit the light lighting marks. They just they just go. They just do it. And the, That's cool. the guy That's who's playing Matt Saracen also, uh, especially this season, Connor. You haven't seen it yet, but he is just killing. He's so good. Yeah. Yeah. No, everyone's really good on that show. Yeah, it's a great show. Speaking of great shows, I, I realized ever since Friends and Seinfeld and all like the kind of heyday sitcom show, like I don't watch a lot of half hour shows anymore that much. I don't watch a lot of sitcoms really. 
but the there's been a couple shows in the past year that I've started watching that have kind of renewed my interest in half hour shows, and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is absolutely one of them. I've been raving about it all it's ever since I caught up with it earlier this year. Watched all the back seasons. It's on FX. It's edgy. They curse, you know, so it's not not for kids. I describe it as uh, you know, kind of like an extreme Seinfeld, in that it's the same kind of idea of you know, three guys and a girl and wacky situations and stuff like that. But the show is really funny. It's really funny. I had the pleasure of going to see them perform one of the episodes live here in San Francisco. They did a quick little tour of their Nightman musical episode, which is it was hyster- it was hysterical live. Like you, you could tell they're all friends. You could tell they all love working together. And there's something about that show that is just really, really special as far as I'm concerned. So I, I just love it. It's it, and it cracks me up every time. So. I've loved it up until the season where I've let it pile up until my backup DVR and I haven't. Yeah. Made any effort to watch them? I don't know. I don't feel the that's need a, to. That's a serious TV watcher right there. <laughs> the backup DVR. <laughs> Whenever what if one time, goes I down? Watching something else. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So yeah, I don't know. I've, I love that. I don't know. I might be getting tired of it. Uh, it that's the one. That's the one thing is that it is going a long time. But the thing is, is that some some of the stuff they pull out is just it, uh, is unexpected and just uh, all, it, it never fails to make me laugh. So. So I, think, I think the first two seasons were fantastic. I think the, the third season was like every other episode was funny, and every other episode was horrible. Yeah. And so that really sapped my energy for the show. And in this this season, I thought oh, I watched like the first four. I think like there were two good ones and two okay ones. So there's I, a couple. Kind of, re- you should watch the the Dennis Plan episode one. That was where where Dennis outlines how he pulls in a woman and then makes her fall in love with him and then then slams her down and then comes back and like it's this whole like awful 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 human being you know kind yeah, of thing. Oh, they're awful people they're yeah, way they're worse awful people. people yeah they're awful people yeah but my favorite one still of all time is the the one where they go on welfare and they get cooked yeah. on crack yeah that, that's the first season all, I think. Yeah. yeah all just to get the checks yeah but uh, well, the, and Charlie Day, uh, one of the one of the main guys, has become my he's my standout favorite. Like he's just hysterical, and you know, and I look for the episodes that he writes. Like they write all the, the majority of the episodes, and you know, Fred Savage directs them. You know, so it's just kind of wacky. It, but it's I could do without Danny. I could do without Danny DeVito. It's interesting about comedies like that because you can love a comedy, and then for some reason, if you lose your enthusiasm for it, eh? you you know, like you just don't want to watch it anymore. Even if there's stuff that's still happening that you used to like. Because that's happened yeah. to me with with several shows this year. The Office, the, uh, the story of The Office. I'm right? ready for The Office to be done. I'm, I'm yeah. like, okay, you're good, and I loved it, and that's important. But another show that I think that happened to me with was Curb Your Enthusiasm, but with a caveat. So Connor, why don't you talk about? Well, it? it's funny because this is the first season I actually watched all the way through. I've watched random episodes here and there, but never have been a you know a Curb Your Enthusiasm watcher. But this is the season where they were reuniting the Seinfeld cast and doing a, a, a proper reunion. So I. I love Seinfeld, so I put it on my DVR list, and I actually watched every episode, and I really liked it. Yep. I can imagine if you have watched all the seasons, you'd probably be sick of it. But as someone who hasn't, I thought it was all very fresh and funny. And, oh, God, and, it was so funny. It was, it was... I, For me, I was laughing. You know, Sunday nights, I was laughing harder than any other night of the week. Yeah, I was right there with you. I mean, I, I, I've seen an episode here and there, mainly like on, on planes and stuff like that, because I don't have HBO. And then this time I knew Seinfeld was coming. I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to commit to it. And it it was so fucking funny. So funny. And like what's scary is that like I, I kind of relate to Larry David. <laughs> like, a lot of stuff he talks about. I'm like, yeah, I see nothing wrong with that. And like, <laughs> you see, with, with me, like I watched season, I don't know, probably four and five or something like that in the middle. And like yeah. the, for the first chunk of that I was watching, I was like, this is funny. And I was laughing. And it was hilarious. And, and then somewhere in the middle of one of the other ones, I was like, all right. That's enough. Like I literally got to the point where, he, like, he annoys me. Like I yeah. don't like well, him. The, my one criticism, and and this is coming from me, an Italian from New York, is that there's a lot of yelling on this show. 
Like that. Like I'll watch it. Yeah, I thought that was like, funny. No, it's funny. But then there was a, by the by the end of the season, I'm like, oh, stop with the yelling, please, just to, to take it down. Like it's a lot of yelling. I love his manager's wife. I love when they get into it. Like it's hysterical. It's, uh, but it's, it's the same thing every single time. Yes, exactly. And yeah. if you haven't been watching it all, but uh, the, I want to I want to caveat that on the other side. Like every single time any of the Seinfeld people were on the show this year, especially Jerry. Any scene with yep. Jerry and Larry was Dazzle. fucking yep. magic. And I mean it was magic. in the it was sense amazing. that I, like and to watch Jason Alexander go from playing whatever his version of himself is to yep. playing George and watch it happen right in front of your eyes, like I I could not look away. It was um, great. And because, if anybody hasn't watching the whole the whole conceit of the show is Larry David's playing himself, who was he was the co-creator of Seinfeld, and and in the, in this in this world he's retired because you know, he's retired mm-hmm. and, and and layabout. But in this season they convinced him to finally re- do a Seinfeld reunion because he wants to get back together with his ex-wife, and he wants to cast her in it, and they would get back together with each other. So he brings the cast back together, and so this whole season sprinkled throughout the show, not every episode, but every other episode or so. You'd see people pop up and they'd be rehearsing and be writing, and then finally it ended with them shooting, and and that was bizarre too to see, yeah, a them on the sets, and b then they showed a bunch of like the show. Yeah, it was a funny episode. It was great. It was uh, this, the, the table read. The table read yeah. was bizarre. They had this whole yeah. all these people from the show, and they, they, they did like ten minutes of material. It was spooky, and it show, just shows how special that show was, and how great those oh, actors and, were. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I'm a Seinfeld Uber fan, and, and yeah. like I've been, we've just finally got the rest of the DVDs, and we've been watching through them all, and like, you know, it's spectacular. But I gotta say, like all the episodes that that wasn't on, like the golf course episode, I yep. like barely made it through. Yeah, like I was like, oh, get over it. I'm yeah, bad. those those are rough. The ones that sign for yeah, I can't, I, I can't take Larry David anymore. But the episode with Larry and Jerry working in the writing and, yes. and dealing with the assistant with the midriff mm-hmm. was that like the two of them, like the looks they give each other, and like oh. you see, you see why the show was so good because yeah, exactly. they, they, yeah. it was the two of them, their friendship and the writing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So good. Yeah. So, so I also I know people don't like this, but I love that they would start to crack each other up. Yes, yeah, no, I love that too. That was fine. Yeah. I love that you Jerry. Could see that they couldn't they couldn't look at each other without starting to giggle. <laughs> well, that was yeah. a Seinfeld hallmark, you know. Like Jerry was yeah. awful, and when when yeah. Jerry started to crack up, like it was funny. Like when yeah. he had to deliver like a line, like "Let's go watch him cut this fat bastard up." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing funnier than when that happened. Further, yeah. like I think that Michael Richards, after going through some shit for stuff that yeah. he did, and people you know should rightfully have been upset with him, like he owned it. And not only did he own it, like he, he they they referenced it, and it was uh, and Leon is is hysterical. Leon is a great character that I didn't even know existed, and oh, it was just so funny, so so funny. Different type of enthusiasm that I had this year was for <laughs> Top Chef. I've been watching it for a few. I think I've seen all of them, but I've only been watching it as it came out. For the, and Top Chef is the one show that I avoid the internet for because you don't want to have it spoiled because every week is a different and I, I don't think i watch any other competition reality shows or anything like that we talked about it a couple episodes ago on murmur and it's it's just a really fun show and this year was great because the the cast of co- competitors for the most part were really 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 talented like if you ever watched hell's kitchen you're like these yes. people it's the fakest reality show on tv and they're yes. not Good. Well, no. Have you seen the Steven Seagal cop show? No. That is the first reality show <laughs> by far. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny, but uh, on this show, like they're really good at it. And at the end of it, like you, uh, I don't even care about eating half the stuff. Like you just respect the the craft and everything of it. And this was a fun season. And by the last, like the finale, 
like you didn't know who was going to win. It was like anybody's game. It was really exciting, and you they, the people all liked each other and respect each other. It wasn't like a whole one of those backbiting reality show things that we've gotten so used to. Uh, it was just sort of like really skilled people competing in something, and it's food. We all understand food well enough. Yeah, and, food. And, it's uh, it was really good this this year, and then there was the Top Chef Masters, which was had like the respected chefs competing with, and that was fun for almost sort of the same reasons. But it was really good. Show that came out that had a lot of kind of hype uh, earlier this fall was uh, Bored to Death on HBO, and it was the Jonathan Ames written show starring Jason Schwartzman and Zach Galifianakis and Ted Danson, and I initially I have there are a couple of actors I just have an irrational hatred for. And only I admit, a few. I admit that sure? it's only a few. It's really only. It's a small grouping. It's a small group. And Ted Danson is lucky enough to be a member of this group to the point where I, he, Ted Danson appears in Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's a couple funny times. on that show. I couldn't stand him. I couldn't stand. Oh, him. he's I so funny on Ted Curb. Can't stand him. Can't stand him. So that was the main reason why I didn't watch Board to Death. But I love Jason Schwartzman. I love Zach Galifianakis. I like Jonathan Ames. So and I heard good things about it. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to let it stock up. Uh, I'll stock up the episodes. And in the span of a weekend, I watched the entire season, all eight episodes, and it redeemed me. I, it was Ted, very funny. It was very funny. It was well written. I would finish an episode, and I'd be like, one more, one more. You know, next thing you know, it's two in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, because I've been watching, yeah, I watched four in a row. It, the whole premise is that Jason Schwartzman is a, a struggling writer. The show starts with, uh, he's written one book, supposed to be working on a second novel. And the show starts with his girlfriend moving out. They've broken up. And he just kind of feels lost. He doesn't really know what to do. And he sees a Raymond Chandler book and decides to put a Craigslist ad up advertising himself as a private investigator. And he's not a PI. He's not licensed. He's not trained. He doesn't know what he's doing. But he figures it will be good for some material. And each episode is a little case that that he gets assigned. And all the while, he works for a magazine where Ted Danson is the publisher. And he writes this magazine. But he also becomes kind of Ted Danson's kind of like a father-son kind of relationship. Yep. And another big turnoff for me was that I just heard so much like it's like, oh, they smoke pot. It's great. And I was like, oh, whatever. I don't need another pot, you know, kind of thing. But it wasn't cliche. It wasn't Zach and Kumar in any way. It was actually done really, you know, realistically, I think. And oh, and Zach Galifianakis was great uh, as his as his kind of best friend. And it was I mean, the show just totally won me over and I can't wait for the next season. Well, it was very funny, but also like it's also very short. I think it's like eight episodes. Yep. J- Jonathan Ames, is, he based the main character on himself so much that so they named him Jonathan Ames. Right. Zach Galifianakis is based on comic book artists we know. Yep. And oh. so and and um, <laughs> oh, and it's uh, loosely based, as he says, loosely, loosely based. based. Yeah. <laughs> and Ted Dance is based on somebody I can't remember at the very moment, yeah. uh, an old magazine person. But he's basically Ted Dance is basically on the internal quest to be thirty when he's actually you know sixty something. So he's always running around to parties and dating younger women. And, and he call, and he calls Jason Schwartzman character he calls Jonathan. He's like, well, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I, he's like, can I come meet you? Like he's so excited by the life that this younger guy lives. And the, the episode where Zach Galifianakis drove and Ted Danson came with them on the stakeout. The oh, that was great. Yeah. That episode was hysterical. It was so funny. It, oh, it was really good. So, yeah, no, it's a very funny show. It's very. I think it's very idiosyncratic. I don't know how well it'll play. Yeah, um, everywhere, but yeah. it was. I, I liked it a lot. I mean, it takes place. You know, it takes place in Brooklyn and, and 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 New York City. So it's very. You know, like I could see people not liking it for all those reasons. You know, but right. it's, yeah, I, I don't. I can't stand Jason Schwartzman, so I avoid him a lot. He's he's good. He's good. In That's it. fine. So. Connor, I just brief brief aside. Have, have you watched Damages? No, no. Ted Danson is awesome on that show. I've only watched. That I've heard it's season. good. No, he's yeah. he, but he like specifically like he's fantastic. He's like in a renaissance, but I never did yeah, like him. Totally I thought Cheers was fantastic. Uh, I, I hated Cheers. I hated Becker. I hate just uh, everything that Becker's, Ted Danson. Becker's a joke. I mean, that's yeah. a that's a Cheers was a, one of the all time. I never liked Cheers. I never liked Cheers. So so good. You're weird. 
Yeah, no, I know. I say it's irrational. It's completely irrational. <laughs> poor, poor Charles Grodin. I, I can't enjoy Midnight Run because of Charles Grodin. Midnight Run's one of the best films ever. I know, it's I know. And good, it's the only thing you need to watch with Charles Grodin. Also, you must have liked the Muppet movie. That's why. He was the villain in The Great Muppet Caper. Mm. That's why, that's why I, you don't like him? That's why I don't like him. Oh, you got to watch he him. Was that bad. He was bad. Really, he was really diabolical in that movie. He was mean to those Muppets. <laughs> it's, it's called acting. I know, but I saw it at a young age. I was impressionable. All right. ABC attempted a little mini sci-fi renaissance this year that didn't go so well. <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> My favorite of the two was Flash Forward, which, which is still apparently on the air. <laughs> Although they, they took a long break, came back for one episode, and they're taking another long break. So we'll see how that goes. But Flash Forward was my favorite of the two, V being the other, which was not good at all. But I really, really like Flash Forward a lot. One of my, it's one of my favorite shows on TV right now. It's all about predestination, and it's all this big, grand global conspiracy, and it's all about all these things that I really like. There are shortcomings, and I, I recognize them f- freely, but for the most part, every time an episode ends, I really want to know what's going to happen next, and that's really all you need to know about a TV show, whether you like it or not. Yeah, I've been, I've been watching it, too, and I'm su- I am sucked in. I mean, the, the, the big shortcoming for me is just that, what's his name? Fines. Joe Fines. Joe Fines chews up the scenes he's in, like, yeah. overacts to, the, to no end. You know? Yeah, but I'm invested in the mystery, and the whole mystery yep. of the show is that one day everyone on earth passes out for a minute 40 no two minute two minutes and 12 seconds two minutes 12 seconds everybody passes out they're blacked out and yep. millions of people die because if you're flying a plane or you're driving a car or something like that you're you're, you're gonna crash and die so all those people die but while while they're passed out they have these visions of the future all of the same moment all of the same day and and it, like they're living in the very vivid memories and so now it's all about getting to that point because they're going to hit that point before the end of the of Yeah, the which is fascinating, which is fa- yeah. So. And so it's all about is the future set in stone? We've already seen it's not because people are starting to change their futures and but other people can't escape them and and why did this happen? Did this happen because of these scientists or was it some sort of conspiracy plus there were they found people who were not passed out and I love grand global conspiracies. I love predestination discussions. I love all the it hits all my buttons. Despite the fact that the lead actor is not very good, but yeah. the but people around him are good. The, the so. supporting cast is great. I really like yeah. the supporting cast. So yeah, it just it just Joseph Fine just chews up the scenes. Also, who else chews up the scenery is the Hobbit. Oh um, yes, oh Don, Don Monahan. Yeah, yes. I totally. Think he's yeah. good. Yeah, I kind of agree. Period. I liked him on Lost. I liked him in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, but, no, Lord of the Rings doesn't count. He's you know I mean look at Orlando, you know he, he's blue. blue. Orlando Jones is the I, 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 I almost guy. said it, but I didn't. I was like, couldn't think of it. So I just said Orlando. You said Orlando Joe, which is just three letters away from. Look at me referencing an ad campaign from 1998. What happened to that guy? He's an actor he was now. He's he in a lot of films. Yeah, he's yeah, an he an showed up in the Time Machine. That was it. <laughs> oh, he was in the the football movie with Keanu Reeves, and he, he was, was in the science science movie with David Duchovny. He's been a lot of stuff. Placements. Anyway, I don't even know what we were talking about. No, uh, Dom McMahon. Yeah, no, Dom not very good. I don't think yep. he's. Good. I mean, like everybody fit in with Lord of the Rings because it was what it was. But like since then, and Lost, like you could be wacky. I mean, like who's to say if if any of those guys are acting well, but they're acting within the confines of that show? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think that's a bit of. A... Let's totally move on is. to the next show. It move totally on. is Breaking Bad. Here's another one that yeah. I caught up late on, and it was like, oh, this is the best show I've ever seen in my this life. This is another show. Another show like Friday Night Lights. I've been screaming about since it's premiered at. A- no one listens to me, ever. Well, I did get it before he started winning all the awards, so there was that. Yeah. But what the thing is, I'm really, really, really reluctant to start new shows because I don't like things nearly as much as most people. So I don't want to get involved with something and then end up not liking it and having wasted the time. But this show is one of those ones where it's only, you know, like you can sort of buzz through them really fast. There's not a lot of them. And the further you keep going, the better you think it is. 
you know, and, and it's funny in the opposite way that the Taylors are the best couple on TV. The family here, uh, like, it's the most horrible marriage of all time. Like, I can't <laughs> think of her name, but the wife and like they are not nice to each other. And I find no. it really interesting in a good it's way. It's one of those but, families that's falling apart but stays together because one of them is really sick. Right. Because and the, and the, and like the son has a disability and he's really a sweet He's kid. great, though. No, he's really good. It. Basically, what you have is a, a science teacher from high school is going through some hard times, low on money, shitty insurance, and extra money. So he's, he starts making high quality methamphetamine. Uh, with local, well, he gets he gets cancer. Hood. He gets lung cancer. Oh yeah, terminal, that's the other thing. it's a terminal diagnosis. So first of all, he can't pay the bills for his treatment, but also he's he's worried about his family leaving his wife and his son who's disabled with no money because he's a high school teacher. He's got no money, so and he decides the he's other gonna, side he, of that just, being. Oh, I'm sorry. The other side of that being that he was the fucking science man. Yeah, back in he the was day, like, and he decided to go for the teaching job rather than take the entrepreneurial route, where his like former partners are totally rich now. And so they're like, super rich, like Bill Gates rich. Yeah and, yeah, and that's always you know needling him in the background. By his wife is like the, the life that you passed up on that we could have had, and so they hate each other for it. And so he decides he one of his former students is a is a meth dealer, and yeah, he, and through series of events, he, he he decides he could cook really high quality meth because he's a science genius, and they can sell it. And they and then the first season is all about them selling meth and making meth and all the hardships that goes with building a, a new business, a new small business. And mm. his problems being sick, and then the second season's all about them being a, basically kingpins because their meth is the best meth. Mm. Yeah. So um, I thought the second season was better than most of Mad Men's been. Wow. I thought up except for season one of Mad Men and the end of season three, I thought season two of Breaking Bad was really good. I can see that. I'm not going to necessarily agree with it, but it was fantastic because it's one of those things where like he had to be a kingpin. So every time they had to make a choice, that show hovered on the edge of a pin because if they had made the wrong choice it would have entirely fallen apart but they didn't make the wrong choices in having him do the things that that he had to do and that had to he gets off on the lifestyle and at the end of season two of course because they the show's now a success and they're going to go on he has a miracle regression in his tumor and so he doesn't necessarily need to keep dealing meth so he goes back to teaching for about a day and realizes, wow this is boring compared to being a drug kingpin (laughs) so he's he's now intoxicated by the lifestyle of and having this power in his life and control and, and people respect him or certain people respect him and things that are much more exciting than grading quizzes. And the, the other yeah. side of it, his brother-in-law is DEA. Oh, yeah. They have the DEA in Albuquerque where they are. So that's, yeah. and, the, and the kid, uh, his name's Jesse on the show, is fantastic. Like he doesn't get enough recognition, I don't think, as being think a really – season two was all about him. Season yeah. one was all about Brian Cranston. I thought season two, he was the standout mm-hmm. character. Um, really, really just great performances all around. And because it's in Albuquerque, it's shot there, it takes place there, it's, it feels different than everything else on TV. And, and that, it's funny because I just – I, I, I heard an interview with Brian Cranston about it and they were originally going to do it in California. It was mm-hmm. going to take place in, in like one of the smaller – Towns of California, but you know, the taxes are too high now to shoot in California, so they shot it in Albuquerque because they got a huge tax break. So that became the, fe- the look and feel of the show because of taxes. So and it worked. Was, Interesting. Yeah. Oh, and this is and this is Ron. This is my favorite part because this is Ron being simultaneously uh, snobby and lowbrow at the same time. No. All right, I'm going to get some shit for this one. Okay, so I'm going to caveat that I have never watched American Idol 
or any of the any of those shows. I've never I've seen they've been on when in places I've been, but I've never sat down and watched entire season. I've never got caught up in the fever or anything like that. It seems as if every time I go to the UK, I catch something on TV and it grabs me. And when I went like in college, when I went to visit our friend Gordon, I got caught up in a drama that was on there and all stuff like that. This I went to I, I took a vacation and went to uh, London in September, and I happened to catch an early episode of a show called X Factor. And it's not here in America, but it's similar yes, it to what. We, no, well, no, it's not. It's a, it's a little different. I mean, it's it's basically what happened was that uh, that American Idol in the UK was called Pop Idol. There was a falling out of the company, stuff like that. Simon Cowell created a new show called X Factor, which is slightly different from what I from what I understand of American Idol. But basically, it's the same idea: people trying out to sing, and a, and it's a competition and stuff like that. I got completely sucked in, completely sucked in by this for several reasons and i've thought about it i've, I've put a lot of thought about it because josh loves to make fun of me because we're not sure if if it's ironic that i'm watching it or it's not it's, <laughs> um and the thing is what how i looked at it is that i'm very curious in how these shows work and why shows like american idol and stuff like that you know were such hits so i was curious on that level and then on the second level they put on a damn good production. It sucked me in. Every weekend I was there. I want to watch the performances. I want to see what the judges say. I want to see who gets voted out. I got I got hook, line, and sinker pulled me in. I will I don't know if I've I don't think we've discussed this at all, but like I actually man I caught a few episodes of this when I was in Ireland a couple yeah. of years ago. Like stuck in a hotel room while it was raining or something like that. And and no, it was and I don't watch American Idol. I I guess I sort of disdain it. I would go I'm too cool it. for it. No, yeah, exactly. I just, totally, I admit. To, I totally admit to it. I am too cool for American Idol. I don't like. It's not my music. It's not my world. My mother watches it. My sister watches it. I don't want anything to do with it. With it, it. you know what? That's what it, partially what it was. But also, the couple of times that I saw American Idol, I was like, "This is mean." Like, yeah. I, I felt bad. They were just making fun of people, and I thought it was kind of horrible. And I realized that that isn't what it was all about. But that was the part that I saw. Um, well, and the thing, what's different about X Factor is that it's not mean and horrible, and that actually, like, it's actually, it's like it, the show is based around a, a mentorship, and that the four judges all mentor the people in it, and they're they're actively trying to make them better. Pre- they mentor them into a big contract that they get eighty percent of. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, like, it, it was interesting to see the the relationships develop and just the emotions, and and the thing is, it was also tied in with Glee. Like half the music on the show, I didn't recognize at all. Like apparently, there's a Brit, pop, uh, not Brit pop, but a, a British pop band called Take That that was like in the early two thousands. Apparently, yeah, they were. Yeah, no, I, I never heard of them. I didn't. This so one night when they did the, they did all Take Take That songs. I was like, whatever. They did a Whitney Houston night, and I was like, whatever. But then they did a Queen night. That was a lot of fun. They did songs from movies that was a lot of fun like it, it scratched that same itch that glee was and i think the fact that i was watching glee at the same time is a part of the reason why i watched it see but, for me when i got interested in it no, i mean i didn't really follow up on it but i was watching it and i was thinking like well how come i can sit here and watch this and, and i can't deal with american idol and i thought it was really fascinating because there is a different character to watching people from like the middle of northern england yep who they're not going to make it like or, yeah. you know, and they they and they but they've like the personality of behind it is so interesting to watch these people like sing their heart outs and be like, so what did you think of the show? You know, and just yeah. like, oh, it's <laughs> and it, it was really like like they like they had to tell them sort of point blank like I'm sorry they weren't really mean to them in the way that they were in America they didn't make fun of them um, exactly but they were like you know you're not good. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I hate to have to tell you, but you know, you're not good. And like, no, we got talent. You don't know it yet. There, was, there like, was there was oh, more. Well, you're, so you're only watching the opening episodes too. Yeah. 
it's, it's the show completely changes once you get past. I didn't know. I, I was only in Ireland. Yeah, the show. Bit, yeah, yeah, once they once they pick the contestants, and actually that that was the one episode that cracked me up was the they so they they whittle it down to you know they keep whittling it down, whittling it down, whittling it down, and they get to a group I think of twelve or something like that, or I forget or I forget how many it is, and each of the mentors go to a different location, like Simon's group, Simon Cowell's group went to L.A. and Danny Minogue is one of the judges, and they went to you know Australia and and uh, Cheryl Cole, who's a singer in the U.K. Uh, they went to Marrakech and you know whatever um <laughs> and the scenes where Danny Minogue was telling the girl, she was mentoring the the females, and she had to tell the ones that were going to get in that weren't going to get in. Were so manufactured drama, where like they're sitting on a couch, and she's like, "You're a great singer, and I love your energy," and like you're just, and you see them like the tears are welling up, and then like she tells them whether they're in or they're out, and it was like totally, like I said, manufactured. But I was on the edge of my couch, going, "Is she going to get in?" Like I was totally pulled into it. I was totally, like, it got me. It totally got me. Out of to continue this experiment, I think I might watch american idol this year just to see the difference you know to do the kind of compare and contrast i'm out <laughs> so, so we'll see but uh, it, it was it was an interesting journey down a, a type of tv that i'd never watched before well i know at some point we all watched survivor right yep watch the first maybe second season i bailed like around eight i think or seven right. so. this season that that's just now when by the time people hear this will be over one of the best ever yeah. By far. This totally rejuvenated. The ratings are back up. These shows are all about the cast, all about the characters. And this was one of the better cast seasons since the beginning. This show has a guy named Russell who has been the rallying cry for this show. And he has been such a compelling character that you can't look away. And he's full of all these conflicting emotions. When you, when you watch him, you just can't decide whether you hate him or you love him. And usually it's both at the same time. And it's just been this amazingly compelling season where... He started off as this horrible villain. In fact, before the season started, Jeff Probst was interviewed said he was the most evil character they've ever had on the show. And they're characters. Let's be, let's be honest. They're characters. And he, he started off saying he was in Hurricane Katrina and his dog was killed and all this stuff. And, and none of this was true. And, but he got all his sympathy on his side. And then he just proceeded to pick everybody off and to the point where his tribe, when the tribes merged, was so much smaller than the other tribe. They, were like, they had half the members. But none of his tribes had voted off because – he orchestrated the other tribes just one by one, just to demise because he's so charming, but also so evil. Wow! And, and every every episode, you like him a little, and respect him a little bit more because he's his back's against the wall, and every every episode, he manages to pull it out, and somebody from the stronger tribe goes, and it's just it's just an amazingly compelling. And everyone I know who watches it just can't stop talking about how fascinating the show has become with this guy in the middle of it. And echoes of echoes of Doctor Will. Very much so, echoes Richard of Doctor Will. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, he's very yeah, much along those lines. He's just he, he's so much beyond the other players in the game. Yeah. And just to watch him manipulate everyone. Cool. And, and everyone knows. It's the same thing with Dr. Will. Everyone knows he's trouble, but at the same time, he's so good at talking them into doing things. That's smile. That it's been really fun to watch. And also, the other wrinkle is he's like a rich guy. Oh, really? It's like he doesn't really care about the money. Nice. I love that. He's, he's there to show off his ability to, to manipulate other people. When people start whining on those reality shows, like, I really need this money. It's like, oh, it's like, I, I, I mean, it, it, that always bugs me. Get a job. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Go on Jeopardy, for fuck's sake. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that, and I, I know Connor will probably agree with me, that Community is probably the best new comedy. Of, oh, I'll of, agree with you on that too. Of the year, you've been watching it. I thought yes. you had. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love I, it. Yeah, I apologize. Like, I lose huh. track of what you watch and what you don't. I can't yeah. keep. Go up screw up. off. Let's go screw. What do you? Go, what's the go term? Sc- screw you. Go screw. Go screw. Community. You know, I think uh, Joel McHale. I don't. I wonder when he's going to have to stop doing the soup because. Yeah. I could see a really quick failed movie career happening. <laughs> or he could be like Greg Kinnear. I mean, he could. You know, yeah, whatever. Where's he to, been? To, um, uh, Greg Kinnear's in. Uh, he's in a movie coming up now. Yeah. 
He's, he's got an Oscar. That's what he's been. Exactly. Like, well, that's what I mean. Like he's no, but he's smart. He didn't do way, way too many shitty movies. Yeah. Where's John Henson? That's the question. Yeah, that's the question. Uh, Where's the skunk? Skunk boy. He was hosting that horrible show, the horrible game show, where people jump through shapes. Oh no, really? Yes. Oh jeez. I think anyway, that, wipe out. I think wipe that community out. has been. You know, like the the pilot was kind of funny, but kind of wonky because that's what pilots are like. But I was like, oh, there's some yes. funny stuff in there. And since then, every couple of weeks, there'll be another episode. We're like, did you? That was really funny. Yep. Like, yep. and even like up to the very last one was really funny. And they're doing the kinds of jokes where they're poking at social mores and you know, how people deal with race and how people deal with politics and things like that. And that's really funny. And then the show is just funny. You know, in other kinds of jokes, like with some pop culture kinds of things, the cast is very diverse and very funny. I like that Abed could have been one kind of joke, but he's another kind altogether. I like yeah. that he's a quiet genius. Yes, yes. yeah, totally. Like, yeah. He wasn't, he's the not the crazy twist. guy. He's yeah. the one who's actually in control of everything more than anybody else on the show. Yeah. Chevy Chase has been great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the show, the show, every episode gets a little better than the one before it. And like, it's really clever. It's really smart. And they've, they've, like. they've toned down uh, the use of the Spanish teacher. Just enough. Yeah. Which yeah, I just think enough, was, yeah. like he was the one that everybody sort of knew when it started out because he was in every Apatow movie, but I could deal with less of him. They also toned down the romantic tension between Britta and. Yes. Yes. And, yeah, and yeah. That was exactly. a good move, I yes. think. Um, I mean, it's and, still there, but they don't harp on it every episode now that they did in the beginning. And yeah. I think that the joke about people who like Paul Rudd movies is one of the greatest jokes of all time. It's very funny. Really quickly, I talked about it last year. Psych is one of the best cable shows, all those cable shows that USA dominates with and makes tons of money. It's very funny and very light and not very deep in terms of story, and it's not very complex, but these shows are all about the characters on it and the charm of the characters and the buddy relationship between the characters. And this one co-stars Dulé Hill, who was on the West Wing, and I think last year's when I stopped thinking of him as Charlie from West Wing. <gasps> and he's, he's totally been su- superseded by this, his character Gus on this show. To the point now where I see a West Wing re- rerun and I'm confused. It's very good. Weeds is a show that I think has been on longer than they expected it to be on. And what they <laughs> did, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Oh, totally. But what they did was they have to change things up. And so this season was a season of them really changing things up and doing other things and making it different. And it, it, it it's not the same show that it was at one time. And if you are the kind of person who only like that for a show, uh, you may not like it now. But for what they had I've to do. I've been watching with, this on DVD and it's been... Yeah. Very good. It's been really good, and I thought that there was some middle bits where they were trying to figure out what to do next, but this season they found their direction, they picked it, and they went with it, and it's one of those things, another one of those shows where they had a lot of hard choices to make, and they, they made really good choices all the way through, and at this point, you know the characters, and you love the characters, or don't, you know, and you, you want to see what's going to happen, and uh, it's, it's just in- incredibly fun, and incredibly satisfying, and just an edge of, of sadness underneath everything, and, and, oh, totally. and trial, and again, this is one of those shows, like Ron, you were talking about earlier, like, I don't I don't care that they smoke pot on the whole show all the time, or whatever, and yeah. that's what initially stopped me from watching the show, because I thought it was just going to be a bunch of stupid jokes it is not that at all it's a fantastic show i've heard good this this last season's coming out in january so i'm excited so is kevin nealon still on it kevin nealon is the greatest thing on television okay (laughs) because he is no no in the first three seasons he is yeah yeah I just wanted to hang out with this character all the time. Like, yeah. I wanted to be able to pull him out of the TV and just have him hang out on my couch. He's changed. They changed the character some, I think, yeah. because he's no longer in the position that he was at the beginning. But well, they've all they've all changed because all our lives have changed. Yes, big 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 stuff happens in the, in the season, and at the end of it was like, oh, you're leaving me there. Come well, that's, on. You, you've talked about weeds before and how it ends like that, and you're totally right. Every season ends and you go, there's no way they can get out of this one. Nope. <laughs> and, and they do. Yeah. Speaking now, speaking of no ways to get out. 
Yeah, well, it's funny because we, we never talk about Lost on the show because of the weird way Lost is scheduled. Yep. It's never in our minds when the, this show comes around because it starts after this in January. Yep. So I, f- I think it's important we talk about Lost. So I thought this last season was really, really strong. Oh, me too. I loved it. I loved it. it I, I love I, – I really love Jeremy Davies. He's like one of my favorite kind of like – he's one of those actors. The Whenever he's in, I get excited. He's the guy who played the, the bearded physicist. And the time travel stuff I thought was – I love time travel. So And I thought they hit it on a level that was believable. It was enough that the general population, as evidenced by my mother, could get it. Then they're doing it right, and they did, and and the, it ended. And I'm, you know, I, you're right. We kind of forget about it, but I'm actually really excited to see how they're going to get out of it. Like, what's the next step? How do they wrap this all up? I've always liked Lost. Even when people complain about it, I always I liked it and I watched it, and I never really understood the complaints. But this season, particularly, I think was this last season was the, was the strongest since the first one, and they really they brought on a lot of new characters, which I think it needed to do because a lot of the, the original characters sort of sort of run out of their steam. Yep. And uh, Jeremy Davies was a really great addition to the cast, and too bad they killed him. Well, I, I, I'm guessing with time travel. I, I'm, well, none of the. I mean, they yeah. killed every, they killed lots of people. I think yeah. they're all coming back this. this yeah, this I was laughing because I was thinking about Lost, like the early days of Lost. And you remember how many episodes just involved the guy who played Mercutio and Romeo and Juliet running around the jungle yelling Walt. Walt. <laughs> <laughs> like it was just like it's the like best thing they ever does get rid of Walt. Yes. Oh yeah. Justice <laughs> Hill. Thank you very much. Yeah. No, I liked his, I liked the father a lot, Michael. Oh, I, I thought, thought he was great. He yeah. brought a good dynamic, but Walt just was just even yeah. with the mystical elements, it was, was just a. We're just running around the jungle yelling Walt. I was really ready to jump ship at the beginning of this last season like because I was just bored. Yeah, I remember um, you. And I thought it was a good season because what it did was it focused. Yep. And it focused on just a few, like two groups of people and, and just stayed with them and told that one story. And I thought that that worked really well. At the, at the same time, like the thing's been going on for so long and I don't know anything and I kind of don't care. But that didn't stop me from like I dug the show uh, this, this season definitely. That's a lot of stuff we've watched this year. <laughs> TV movies, all the hours added up. It's a lot. But it's good. I love TV. There's a lot more out there, but that's some of our favorite stuff. Yeah, exactly. Our favorites. You might have different ones. I know what you're thinking is like, well, geez, I still need more stuff to consume. So we want to send you over to audible.com. They're sponsoring the show. That is the place for audiobooks. You can download them to your iPod or any other device that you have such as a Zune, can access them through the web. Uh, there's over 60,000 fantastic titles across all kinds of genres. Basically, if it's a book, you can get it for the most part. You go to audiblepodcast.com slash iFanboy, and you'll sign up for a free audiobook and a free 14-day trial. So you can get one of any book on there uh, with the trial and, and, and try it out. I made a pick this time, and the pick is 1776 by David McAuliffe, as narrated by David McAuliffe. So anybody who's watched through the Civil War knows what he sounds like. It's a soothing, calm voice. Also, I've been reading the book, and it's fascinating because it really focuses a laser on sort of the one year that the Revolutionary War turned around. If you like history or anything like that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. And I've learned all sorts of stuff about that happened in New York City around the time cool. of, of the Revolutionary War, which has been really fascinating to see what things were like at that point and where things were situated. It's been really fascinating. And that thing is 11 hours and 32 minutes, so you're... you're wow. Yeah! That's a, that's a marathon. Yeah. That's a meaty one. It's not that long of a book. The book's <laughs> like, like 300 pages. Yeah. That's like 22 trips in the subway. You, and you, I mean, you know, in, in a way, it's also kind of a biography of George Washington at that period in time, which is it's fascinating. I need to get that book. Yeah, cool. no, You really, you really do. So go to audiblepodcast.com slash ifanboy, sign up, and get 1776. Thank you, Audible. Another thing that a lot of people who listen to us probably experience a lot more than we do is video games, because we're busy yes. people. But we do We're not gamers. We, yeah, the people don't get that. We've said that before. They boo us. Why do you boo? I don't have I'm time. a casual I gamer. That's my, that's my yeah. defense. 
I've yeah. got I've got I'll play a couple games a year and that's about it. But we do play some and I think that uh maybe from a point of us being casual gamers, maybe that will have some relevance. Yeah. Uh, one of the games that I picked up, uh, by the way, Gamefly has been like a revelation for me to actually get a hold of some games because I'm not going to go out and spend 60 bucks on a game and not know what it's like, but that's another thing. I managed to try out some things this year, probably more than other years past, and one of the things that I got hooked on was Call of War as Bound in Blood. Now, uh, I know there were a lot of big games this year. There was, you know, I think Modern Warfare 2. Modern Warfare 2 is another Halo game, is the zombie game. Uh, and yeah. then Left 4 Dead, you know, all that stuff. And I tried all those, and I sent them back pretty rapidly. But Call of War is, which is just a shooter, it's a Western shooter, where you've got these two brothers, and you get to choose between each of them, and one of them, like, uses a shotgun, and one of them uses two six-guns. And you start off, and you're actually in the Civil War, and you're on the you're on the rebel side. So you're mowing down Union soldiers, left and right. And, and for whatever reason, like, the way that this game was set up, and the story that went on through it, I had so much fun playing this game. Then you go into the Southwest and you're fighting Indians and you can get a bow. Well, it's right up your it's right up your alley. Oh yeah. man, it was totally fun. It was it was a great game. I labeled it as controller throwingly frustrating at times. <laughs> like you'd get stuck <laughs> three or four times where I was like, fucking, you know, when like your progress just grinds to a halt. But uh, other than that, which you know, I think you need that a little bit. Although I'm the first that the second that I get stuck on something, I will get on the internet and figure out how to get past it. So you're I fine with it. <laughs> it's about going through it. It's not about solving it for me. Yeah. I just I want to keep moving. That's my whole thing. That was a really fun game for me, and I was I was glad I, I got I finished it. The video game for me of the year probably was, and we talked about it on our previous Murmur.com podcast, but Beatles Rock Band. You know, like Rock Band has been such a source of fun over the past couple of years. And what I find really interesting is that with every iteration, they make it a little better. So not only like, you know, the Beatle music aside, the gameplay and like the use of the the application itself of Rock Band got so much better and so much more refined and added to the Beatles and such a great music that everybody knows. It's like I've had Rock Band parties with, where we're playing Beatles songs for hours and it's just – and they keep, and they're, they're releasing more and more of the, the material. It's just – it's totally – I mean it's a no-brainer when you think about it, but it's it was so much fun. I, so. I got to say we uh, – Con, Ron and I – Connor and I actually had – Connor and I had a, 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 quite a session with just the two of us. We played through the whole thing, which was awesome because oh, really? he just sang the two us. of you? He just sang the two of us? us. Just the two of <laughs> us. We didn't wear pants and it had nothing to do with the game. But no, then Ron and I went and we had a, a little rock band party with a couple of other guys. And like every yeah. time that I think about it, it's pure joy. Yeah, it's pure It's pure it's, fun. It's, it's pure yeah. joy. And, and that's what it was. And it's funny because I find that Beatles rock band is actually not as much fun to play by yourself as the yeah. other rock band. For it's, a total, it's a total group game. Yeah, It yeah, is totally so when fun. you don't get people to come around and do it. The other thing that's been really cool for it has been the downloadable albums. Um, yep. There's three now. I think I just got Rubber Soul. And you'd be surprised, like, some of the songs, like, you think, oh, that's not going to be any fun to play. And it is. Like, A Day in the oh, Life. Oh, yeah. A Day in the Life is so much fun to play. Yeah, well, that, uh, my example on Sgt. Pepper was uh, Good Morning. Mm-hmm. Like, that song, like, I never paid that song any attention. I was just like, oh, whatever. But, like, I love the drum part. Yep. And just, like, and like the start and stops and everything. Like, mm-hmm. oh, they're great. It's so much fun. And so you'll fun. find and they, that, you know, some people will say, I've seen this, like, on Twitter, be like, oh, it's making people think they can sing when they can't. That's huh. the best part of it for me. Exactly. Like yeah. I, I can't. I don't want to go to karaoke. I don't want to do it. I don't want. But like, you give me one of these microphones. I'll do that shit. And like, exactly. I'm not a karaoke guy, but I'll do this anytime. Yeah. Um, well, it is karaoke. Right. It is. No. I know. Right, but and yeah. it, but yeah. for whatever reason, the secret ingredient is it's telling you what to do. For one thing, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's it's totally fun. Yeah. Well, going in a completely different direction, I have a bunch of games on my iPhone that I quite enjoy. Really? I don't. I did not, I did not yeah. expect this. 
yeah, I, I have a, I have not a ton of games, but I have a few, and I, I find myself playing those a lot more than anything else. I've got a Wii that I play sometimes, but not as much as my iPhone games because oftentimes I'll just find myself with a few minutes, you know, waiting for the train or or somewhere that I just pop open the iPhone and I play. Uh, the big obsession is flight control, which is oh, that's a great game. Yeah, you land planes and. It's so maddening, but addicting. I'll play the game for half an hour. It's gone <laughs> you, by. You can't throw your controller when it's the iPhone. I tell you that much. No, <laughs> and frustrating too because I remember when I first got, it, I was playing it. I'm pretty proud of myself on one of the boards and showed my brother, and I had gotten like a hundred. Oh, and I know where this is going to end. He got about an 800-something. <laughs> he's, he's a savant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but very addicting and also very simple paper toss. You're tossing paper oh, into a wastebasket. Yeah. And uh, that's also really maddening. Have you ever and, played uh, Trace? No. Oh man, try that. I'm looking at my phone. Now. I have a parachute panic light where you do little parachute dudes have to you have to land them in aircraft carriers, not into the ocean because they parachute out of planes. And and then also finally words, which is basically Scrabble, but you play it with other people. Oh yeah, that yeah that that's a that's a great game. Scrabble words with friends. With yeah, yeah, words with friends, and you, yeah. you basically you, it's you get a push notification when it's your turn. I've been playing that a lot too. I bought so Sim that's, City that's for me. mine for some reason. How is it? I remember why I stopped playing SimCity. It stresses me out. <laughs> I love Is it SimCity. good? Because I love SimCity. I love SimCity. Kind of. It's difficult to be precise with where you're putting things. And yeah. it just takes a while. No, that's, that's hard. The mindset of doing it is incredibly stressful for me. Because it's exactly <laughs> what I want to get away from when I'm playing video games. Which yeah. is to remember all also, of the things and not let them fall apart. Yeah. But yes, it, it works. Well, that's why I stopped playing The Sims because I feel like yeah. I could just. Oh, that house, was awful! But... Take the garbage out. Do the thing. Do the. Oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> garbage be taken out. And there's also a couple of really simple games like Pac-Man and Connect Four and, and Dots. Classics. That, yeah, I those play... are the classic games. I like to play those. There was a, they released the new GTI, like the new Volkswagen GTI, for the first time on a video game that they were doing. It's a, a pure racing, I think, or something like that. And at first, like it annoyed me to have to turn the screen, but once I got used to it, I was like, I'm having fun with this. And I, I played the, the the Star Wars Trench Run game was a blast too. On the oh, cool. that, that yeah, the they're they're fun. And when you have a few minutes, you know, you just you find yourself waiting for somebody, or you're waiting for you know, you don't have to be at home with your Xbox. You can just be a uh, true uh, casual. Yeah, totally. Cool. And the the game that I think more people asked us if we were playing and what we thought about it than any other this year was Batman Arkham Asylum. Uh, and our answer then was, we're not big gamers, whatever. And I wasn't going to play it because I didn't care. And yeah. I played the demo, and I didn't really care about that all that much. But again, like I had, I was like, I'd heard enough really good things well, from people. Paul Dini wrote it too, right? Yeah, which you know, yeah. it's fine. I, I didn't really, I don't know, for whatever reason, it didn't really interest me in getting. But I put it in my game like you, and it showed up. And those people were right; it's a really fun game. It's probably yeah. the, it's definitely the most fun Batman game I've ever played. More Character. fun than Lego Batman, because that's pretty fun. Yeah, I sent that back after game. a couple of minutes. Um, I love Lego. Uh, I love the Lego. Oh, Lego Rock Band's come, came out. I can't, I'm hoping I get it for Christmas. Anyway, um, right. you know, but but what was fun? What's fun about it, the whole thing takes place in Arkham, this gigantic version of Arkham. Yeah. Um, and there's a story going on. The story's fine. It's okay. The voice acting is all the people from the animated series for the most part. So it sounds very familiar. It sounds very right. But the challenge of it that I really like is like you get to zip around on your little line. I just feel like the way you get to use Batman. Is probably the most fun. Do you find yourself there's the two modes where there's the mode where you're like detective mode and regular mode? Do you find yourself just staying in detective mode? Yes. Yeah, me too. I was like, why do this? Yeah. Um, Which is, but it's cool the way that it's done. My favorite parts are the ones, and I hated it at first, but there's parts where you go into a room and there's a bunch of dudes with guns and you have to pick them off one by one and stay silent and stay hidden and you zip around on these gargoyle. I mean, it's totally set up, but like it's fun to do. 
Batman. It's a fairly open world. You can go wherever. I feel like superhero games are really taking a step forward in the last couple of years, with well, starting with Spider-Man 2 until now. I, they've really sort of opened up their worlds. Well, here's the thing. It's like, I hate boss battles. These things I hate in games. I hate anything that slows you down, basically. I hate boss battles and I hate puzzles. I will cheat on those every time, given the chance. And at first, there's like a Bane boss battle. Which basically works the same way that like you know Nintendo did. You throw a you throw a batarang, hit him in the mouth, jump over him, then kick him from behind. That's what you do. You find the way to do that. I mean, I was worried that at the end of every level it was going to be a boss battle like that. So you're, the whole time you're going towards Croc, and I'm like, this is just going to be annoying. But like the Croc battle at the end is set up completely differently. It's this really neat thing where you're you know going through the sewers and you're trying not to fall in the water and you're not trying to fight him. You're just trying to avoid him so you can do what you need to do and then leave. It's been fun. I think Connor, you'd enjoy it. I'm sure I would. I just yeah. not really. I'm not a huge console player, so no. And, yeah. it, and it makes sense. But I, I got into it. I definitely. I, I definitely. Well, I, if someone handed it to me and I had the system, I'm sure I would play it a lot. But I just it's not something <laughs> I, I seek, seek out. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I don't I even think, have an Xbox. So. There are these really neat sequences where the fear gas from a scarecrow affects you, and then you go into this weird world. And the the secret, the way that they do it, is really neat where you're having these hallucinations where you're like, this doesn't make sense, and then you figure out why. The only problem is it happens too often. Like, by the third time it happens, you're like, oh, whatever. And then you have to play this hide-and-seek game, which I don't really like. But it's fun. It's definitely worth it. Character yeah, designs I... are a little different than people are used to, but it works. It all works together. The production design, the the settings, the the place is, is all pretty neat. Yeah, I, had a lot of, I was playing it, and it's, it's, it is fun. It's really cool. So. Yeah. Awesome. So those are our video games. Like we said, we are casual gamers. We do enjoy it every time to time, but we're not as hardcore as the rest of you. So I like playing Mario Party. I want to get uh, Mario Brothers for the for the Wii. Supposed to be really good. The new the new Super Mario Brothers. But who knows? It's a two it's two D. It's like two D scroller. You know, like that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, but for the Wii. So on to music, and we're gonna you know we're kind of gonna blow through some of these because we uh, talked about music a lot on the Murmur.com podcast this year. And what I did was personally for me, what I wanted to break down some of the standouts records that I picked up this year, as well as you know Josh Connor, what you guys enjoyed. First one for me though was similar to in the same vein. I've had a year of challenging my preconceived notions and and questioning things, and I've grew up listening to you know kind of rock based, you know kind of punk hardcore, you know kind of guitar based singer drums that's it very kind of anti-hip-hop anti-electronic music but band called passion pit with their album manners this year just kind of changed that for me where the album is just really really good and then i i recently got to see them live and they put on a great show i mean yes two guys are standing in front of a little box pressing buttons but the whole crowd was into it everyone was jumping around it's hard not to dance to this music it's hard not to just like you can't stay in your seat when you listen to it so passion pit was great a guy who I've known about for a little while and I think has become a bigger name over time is, is Ray LaMontagne. Uh, I can't imagine either of you guys. Definitely not Ron. It's not your I know the name. I have the album. I know yeah. the name. Oh, you, I know the name. You have yeah. the album? You have the newest one? Yeah, when I was over in England, I heard him there and was given the album. Well, so I, I've had it for two years. I read an article a long time ago and it was one of those like, this is going to be the next big guy. And I was like, and it, like, it intrigued me enough that I went and I bought the first album and it's like kind of it sounds like husky voiced acoustic guitar sort of romantic ballads for a little while at first when i first heard it, i said that guy's got a beard and he did <laughs> yeah no well what i found out later is that he's from maine yeah, which yeah. i was like yeah and so like and i didn't know this but like all the while back in in my home state of maine he's like the biggest fucking thing ever because they're like our boy wow. made it you are wicked awesome <laughs> And so the first album came out, and it was pretty good. The second one went through the, all this, like, Motowny horns production thing. It's this very wow. sort of throwback R&B, like a Sam Cooke album almost. It's really good. And the more I listen to it, the more I like it. So it's where Ron gets out of his roots and goes into the more of that dancey stuff. Like, I tend to go backwards and do yeah. the same thing. New album came out this year. He was on Saturday Night Live, you may remember or not. 
and and it the guy doesn't. Bad, I thought. Uh, I thought it was good. Anyway, I haven't decided on the whole album, but the very first song on the album, it's called "You're the Best Thing," is like a perfect song. It's literally a perfect song. It just and it feels like an old sort of like Wilson Pickett song. It's like really upbeat and there's horns and it's just about like you're the best thing and it, it, and it, there's like background singers. It's just one of those songs that you're just like that's a great classic you know, wonderful song. So yeah. I've been digging that a lot lately. Continuing my kind of ex- ex- exploration of electronic music and stuff like that, a band called The Big Pink from actually from the UK as well. Their album came out, uh, Brief History of Love, uh, came out in this fall. And two guys just making music and, again, so catchy, so kind of poppy. It's similar to like Phoenix, uh, which is a French band that came out uh, last spring. You're going to start seeing Big Pink songs in commercials. I, I, I get, almost guarantee it. But they're touring. I'm going to try to catch them. I heard they like actually add other band members, so it's not just the two other guys, and they perform some of the stuff live as opposed to like they're just sampling and recording stuff. So I'm excited to see them. But uh, that was one that I had. You know, somebody sent me the album. I didn't even listen to it, and it took someone else going, "Hey, did you hear this song?" And I li- listened to the song Dominoes, and I was just like, "Oh, this is great!" And then the whole record just was was awesome. We talked about this on a previous show, so we don't go too deeply into it, but. The Beatles remastered set we've dubbed the end of CDs. Yes. The end like, of CDs. No more CDs are needed after these. I bought the box set, the stereo box set, and I don't feel like I need to buy anymore, although I have, and we'll get to those in a minute, but people say you can't hear the difference. I hear the difference. In oh, it's amazing. I you hear the difference it, yeah. more and more. The more I keep listening, the more stuff I hear. Yeah. yeah. Um, stuff's, the, stuff's amazing. It just sounds beautiful, and if you have a really nice system or a really nice sound, it's really nice. The Beatles remastered set is you can get them singles or you can get the big box set and it's it's you just, got you, I think you got to do it you I mean you got you need to own these you know and, and plus they've all got DVD they've got the documentaries there's tons of stuff in a box set it's yeah. really nice oh. awesome A new Pearl Jam album this year they you know it's funny because they put out albums and no one really talks about them for very long after it and it's only every few years or something like that it's not like they're deluging they sort of like go in a way and they took it and this was the first album that they didn't do with a major label they released it on their own Backspacer and I just. I really dug it. You know, like I've been a Pearl Jam fan all along and it's just like the first three songs are just like, they're awesome pop rock punk, just yeah. really fun songs. I'm, I meant to email you about this because I think I heard, I was in a zip car and, I was, and, it, and it didn't have an iPod jack so I was listening, I was actually listening to the radio and I'm pretty sure it was a Pearl Jam song. It was really good. I meant to email you asking you to get yeah. the new record because the, it's it already to confirm that what I heard was Pearl Jam but it sounded whole, like a The whole album is pretty good. I don't know, it's like the last song I don't like very much. The whole album is pretty good but the first three songs specifically are just these three blasts of energy and they're, they're probably the ones that you heard because they're instantly, yeah. you're like, wow. Yeah. And like there was, they sold it exclusively at Target so like yeah. there was a Target ad of them playing a show. It was directed by Cameron Crowe, which is kind of funny. And it's just I really enjoyed the album. You can actually buy them for rock bands. So I bought like a couple of those for it too. And um, another another good album. There's there's still one of my favorite bands of all time. So that- speaking of favorite bands of all time, my uh, my own personal Jesus Morrissey came out with a new record in earlier in 2009 in, in Mar- February March called Years of Refusal. Um, and then he toured. The tour of Refusal happened after that. I saw h- him play live at Carnegie Hall in March, which actually our friend Whitney Matheson over at USA Today and Pop Candy was her number one pop culture event of the year was when we went to go see Morrissey. And the dude's 50 and he just brings it. And the Years of Refusal is probably his best solo record since he came back with your other quarry a few years ago it's been about five years or so of new material from morrissey and this is the top of it just some great rock songs some really good you know great lyrics as always and every, and great things that everybody everybody agrees that's the cool thing too is that is, is that every, all the critics stuff like that like this is awesome material and the fact that i just saw him a couple of weeks ago here in oakland and he blew the audience away like he still he still commands a great performance it's good to see him Still doing it. You might remember last year we talked about going to see the Decemberists the day after the presidential election. election. 
um, yep. and, and it being a, a pretty magical experience. And, and it's one really of the best was. one of the best shows I've ever attended. I, yeah. only, I haven't been to a show since. Yeah. I only got to a couple of shows this year. And when the Decembers came through, I said, well, I, I don't want to miss them again because that was too great. And sometimes that can backfire on you yep. because it doesn't live up to what it was before. And what I can tell you about the show that I saw in June at Radio City, um, and anybody who was at this show will agree. Um, what a venue. What a venue. It was as great as that other show, but a different kind of thing, basically. Because what they did was they did the entire Hazards of Love album, an album which I, it took me a long time to really fully appreciate. But it's awesome. Um, yeah, no, it's awesome. It's great. I yeah, love it. Yeah. And it, it took me a while to appreciate it, which is fine. All my favorite music of all time works like that. And they had the entire, they did the whole album without any breaks with all of the people from the album, meaning the, the women, Sasha Warden, or I can't remember their names right now. I'm sorry, but you'll know who they are. The queen and the, and the other Husky voice lady. And yeah. every time they came on, it was like magical. Yeah. It was, it was an amazing experience. And, I don't know that that will happen again. I'm so mad I missed it. I'm so I mean, mad I missed it. It'd be like the entire performance with all of the original voices. I don't know when they'll get all those people together again. And so I'm glad I got to see it when I did. The second half of the show felt a little more um, like like our all-star hits than the show that we had gone to earlier. Uh, but that didn't stop like their amazing showmen and like bringing the crowd in and like finding the three different people to do the three different harmonies that are happening in the songs and getting the crowd into it and having them come out. And I swear to God, the highlight of the year musically for me was um, them coming out and playing Crazy on You Crazy by on heart. You, yes. They came out and they played it and, and Cheryl Warden did the parts. And like you would not have expected to enjoy that song as much as you because it's kind of a cheesy pop song from an earlier era and they just owned it and like since then like uh, that's like i'm like what an amazing freaking rock song and and they blew the theater away and they had to stop playing because radio city has these weird rules but it was fantastic really an amazing experience one of my you know top concert experiences ever yeah and it's similar is that once in a lifetime experience is there's a reason why i will travel to go to things like that Mm -hmm. you know like last year when i when i flew from san francisco to new york to go see my bloody valentine at the atp show you know like stuff like that i'm so bummed i missed that i also missed a couple weeks ago actually jawbox reunited on fallon and uh, on the jimmy fallon show and jawbox is this legendary dc band from the 90s and they haven't played a show since 1997 and they re-released their best album for your special sweetheart i got an invite to go to the rehearsal and i was contemplating going and I was like, you know, they're only gonna play one song. Turns out they played four songs at the rehearsal and I missed it. And I missed the once in a lifetime thing. I kicking myself. But I saw it online and it was great. If you haven't never heard Jawbox, go check out the new release. It's so good. But then I love that once in a lifetime. You never know if this is gonna be recreated or not. Mm-hmm. You know? Well the good day in the in the murmur offices is when the new Glee soundtrack hits because yes. it goes flying around half the staff and there's lots of giggling. And then lots of playing on the uh, iTunes or what have you. I said that the depth of CDs was the, the Beatles box set, but I bought the first two Glee soundtracks because I can't not. And like we said earlier with the show, it's the music makes you happy and it makes you want to dance and sing. And I know they, they're pretty much all I've been listening to since the first two came out. This yeah. is those on rotation. They're so good. Yeah, and I got I gave them to my sister. My nieces danced like I was I was staying with my sister. My three year old niece was running around singing somebody to love. You know, which is great. Like how how else could you get a three year old to be singing a Queen song? You know, like it's like. And also, I find that the songs that I don't expect to want to hear all the time are the, are the ones I listen to more yes. the most. Yeah, um, I agree. I think off the second one, it was the Barbara Streisand song that I've been listening to the most, which is not what I expected after watching the episode. But yeah. great music, yeah. great covers. 
So probably the best two new bands I discovered this year was one was a band called Cut Off Your Hands. They put out an album called You and I that I got and I got the, and the, the record was good. It was kind of alternative, you know, kind of guitar based, you know, like it, it wasn't really a huge standout, but I saw the band live. They're from New Zealand, I think, and they just kicked ass live. They killed it. Like when you see a young band, I saw them at the bottom of the hill in San Francisco, which is a smaller club. And when you see a band live, you know, that's starting their ascendance. And it was kind of a similar feeling I had last year with Los Campesinos. Like, you know, like you, there's, there's this energy that just can't be denied and, and Cut Off Your Hands totally had it and they totally blew me away. But my favorite band of 2009 and my White Whale now, the band that I have not been able to see live despite six opportunities in 2009 – is the pains of being pure at heart? I love this their record. They put out a self-titled record that was amazing. They put out an EP that was amazing. They're kind of like a 21st century My Bloody Valentine, kind of more noise, uh, kind of like the noise pop kind of side of things. Very guitar heavy, very distortion heavy, but the lyrics are great. I love this band, and they come play San Francisco the week I'm in San Diego for Comic Con, and they'd come play New York the week I'm in the UK. And they play like it was just like I just could not see them. I tried so hard. Every time they played in a city that I could be in, there was a reason why I wasn't at that show, and it kills me. So I'm hoping in 2010 they tour again so I can see them because I, I love this band. And probably my single best record I got for this year was The Pains of Being Pure at Heart. That's weird because I've seen them three times already. Yeah, go fuck yourself. They're here. They're here now. <laughs> Did you want to? I wish I'd known because I would have told them to like wait. But oh. we were Anyways. playing Beatles Rock Band earlier. That's yeah. awkward. That was the year in music. It was great. It was a good. It was a good year for music. It was a lot. I got a lot of new records. And I was glad to. It was saw some great shows. So it was a, definitely a plus year. So. I'm such a music this, nerd, and not in the good way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you also by Instock Trades, where you can get up to 37 percent off all your trade paperbacks with free shipping on orders over fifty dollars. And over 5,400 paperbacks are in stock and available for order right now. They list their new releases every Wednesday, and orders usually slip within 48 hours of your purchase. You can get that all at www.instocktrades.com. They're a good service. They I are. like to buy things from them. And speaking of comic books, we read a lot of comic books over at ifanboy.com. So we wanted to kind of we, – we talk about them. We've done – we do a pick of the week show every week, week in, week out. We've done two, over 200 episodes. But we do want to highlight some of the books that we read in 2009 that were our favorites. Yeah, so we'll do this quick. We'll go through we'll run through our, some of our favorite books from the year. First off, Batman and Robin, at least the first three issues with Frank Whiteley on art duties was – I thought the pinnacle of superhero comics this year, 2009. Beautiful. Uh, bar none, three pick weeks in a row, which just rarely happens, and just gorgeous work, from both from Morrison and Quietly. Yep. So good. So, so good. Captain Britain and the MI-13 was the tragic cancellation of 2009. Was, uh, Paul Cornell and Leonard Kirk uh, worked on this, one of my favorite characters of all time. I was a big Excalibur fan. Love the old Alan Moore stuff. And to see Captain Britain kind of come to a resurgence and be a critical Darling was great to see, just this, but it got canceled. So why would you boo Paul Cornell, Josh? I'm boo that it boo. got canceled. Yeah, it was. It like was a, it's a travesty. Yeah, and Paul Cornell is one of the like he, he's gonna have a big 2010, I think, from writing comics. My little prediction is I think Fraction's gonna leave X Men and Paul Cornell's gonna get it. That's my prediction. I'd, uh, I'd start buying X Men then. If yeah, totally. Okay. So I hope that happens because he, after watching him write Captain Britain for how many issues was it 16 and 17 or like around there? Yeah, very few. They were great. They were so good. Not enough. Not enough. Yep. Gone uh, too soon. If you were a Hellboy or BPRD fan, I think that 2009 was the year for you, especially if you've been following along for a while. Some of the stuff that came along in the Hellboy Wild Hunt miniseries was spectacular. actually moved the story along after it felt like it hadn't been for a long time. And then at the same time, over in BPRD, you got all these War on Frogs one-shots that were just great little stories, one after another. Really fantastic stuff. And then you had Gabriel Ball and Fabio Moon doing BPRD 1947. 
at the same time. Gorgeous, gorgeous books, really fun, really well written. It's just like this flourishing little universe that has been on a creative high this year. Definitely Mignola and Arcudi and Josh Dysart and others. Really great year for it. Even though the events ending in 2010, I feel like 2009 has been all about Blackest Night in terms of big company-wide events, and including with that would be Green Lantern and Green Lantern Corps, those three books. They managed to do something I've never thought I'd see in my entire life, with Green Lantern being one of the top-selling books of comics and the book that everyone seems to be reading and talking about. I never thought I'd see the day when that happened. But if you're talking about big events that are paying off so far, I mean, it's not done yet, and it'll all fall on its face it could, but so far, a big event paying off is a rare thing, and right now, that's what's happening with Blackest Night. It's just been fantastic from an art level, from a story level, from an all-encompassing level. It's been great. One of the books I was highly anticipating in 2010 was in, in the New York Comic Con early in, in – I'm sorry, in 2009. In 2009, early in 2009 was when they announced that Jonathan Hickman would be writing Fantastic Four. Jonathan Hickman, he used to write for iFanboy.com. We, you know, we know him. We think he's great. Such a unique, talented voice in his in, independent work, his creator-owned work like uh, Pax Romana and Nightly News. To see him come to Marvel and see him ascend as quickly as he has. He started with Secret Warriors and they give him the keys to the kingdom of one of their top – not best-selling books, but definitely most revered books. And then to have him team up with Dale Eaglesham, and we've only gotten a taste of it. We've only gotten one real story arc and one, and then one fill-in issue. But it looks like great things to come for Fantastic Four. So I was so happy to see that. I think it's pretty cool that Invincible is still rolling around for all this time. It's in the 60s. Kirkman said this year in 2009 he would have no late books, and he did it. Yep. Um, and one of the things about Invincible did he, did he pull it off? Oh, yeah. He pulled it off. He pulled it he off. Absolutely yeah. did. And I got to tell you. I switched from trades to issues, and Invincible is a great monthly read. I've read it both ways. I mean, it works either way that you want to do it, but as a monthly book, it is a lot of fun because they come sooner than you expect. And this year, you know, there was the, he did some experiments. Not everything worked, but it was fun. And I thought that Otley, I mean, Otley took it to another level this year and produced some of the best work of his career, the best work of the series. Some of the things are going to be changing again. Things are going to switch around in the book. But it isn't one of those books that I'm still buying just because I'm still buying it. I'm still buying it because it's fantastic. And I think The Walking Dead is also good. But for me, I thought Invincible was, you know, Kirkman at his purest and and the most fun. I really liked it. A book that's been unfortunately marred by horrendous delays. In fact, they just announced the final issue would come out in March. Fuck. (laughs) Is the Flash Rebirth, which has been you know it's been a great mini overall when it's actually come out. You've been able to read it, yeah. March. Ugh. Barry may die before it comes out. <laughs> Barry Allen's <laughs> it's very slow return, which is ironic. The bringing Barry Allen back to the DCU is thought to be undoable, and and by many people a, a travesty and a sacrilege. But Jeff Johns has surprise, surprise pulled it off with a very exciting and fun story that's brought back definitely Ron and I's love of the Flash universe, which had been pretty much destroyed by the, the recent years of Flash books, but he's got me excited for Flash again. I can't wait for the new Flash series, which now will come out in July. That's that's not a fact. I'm just... Yeah, by yes. the way, if it ever says Ethan Biden Skyver is going to be on your favorite monthly book, that's not good. Yeah. Didn't he say he wanted to do a monthly in some, yeah. in some interview? With, yeah. Uh, it's a joke. So, unfortunately, that's been... The mem- the momentum in The Flash has been killed, but uh, <laughs> still pretty good. When that comes out all together and you read it all together, it'll be fa- I'm sure it'll be great, but uh, it's mm-hmm. been great so far. Continuing one of my favorite line in the books uh, at Marvel, I'm a big science fiction fan, love the characters, and Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning can do no wrong on Nova and Guardians of the Galaxy. It's funny. It's action-packed. They're developing these long kind of 
ongoing stories with the War of Kings and the Realm of Kings and all you know, all these kind of things that seem really intimidating, but you don't need you, you, like you can just buy these two books and have a great time with them. And I love the sci-fi stuff, and I love that they're doing stuff in this little corner of the Marvel Cosmic Universe. They're being left alone, and no issue has disappointed. Hellblazer is a book that I've been on longer than any other title that I've been reading. It doesn't change very much. It stays what it is, and I like it for that because John is a constant. Constantine. Constant, <laughs> Constantine, actually. I did my research on it. And Pete Milligan came on this book, and if you've been listening to the show, you know that I'm not historically a Pete Milligan fan. I haven't liked what he's done very much. It's been great, though. He's been doing a great job on this book, and I'm, I'm so happy. Like Each issue that comes out, I enjoy it. It's not even that the book keeps getting better and better, but it's good, but then they switch off the writer, and it becomes good in a different way for a little while, and it hits all the little things you want. And I like it's the only thing I can think of where there's a formula that they keep hitting, and I'm fine with that formula. Like, I'm, I'm happy with it, and it's been great, and some amazing art has been on the book this year, too, with Simon Beasley taking an arc, and then Giuseppe Chemicoli doing what I think is, is sort of the new standard take on Constantine. It's been great. The big surprise of the year, I think, undoubtedly, is Chu from book Image of, Comics. Book of the year, totally. I don't know if I'll, I know if I'll say book of the year. One of the, one, of the better, one of the better books of the year, well, surprise of the year for sure, coming out of nowhere to take the industry by storm. The sort of very serious but also very quirky story of a cop who can taste food and know everything about it. And luckily he's living in a world where chicken is illegal. So that, that would help in his <laughs> investigations. But it's been funny. It's been dramatic. It's taken twists and turns you haven't seen coming. The art from Rob Guillory is really nice. It's very unlike anything else you'll be reading. It's kind of cartoony but also kind of exaggerated cartoony. It's a very unique style that I, I really enjoy with the story because the story is really unique. And I'm very happy I, I read this. I read it on a lark. Very, very, very fun. I lo- every time this book comes out, I get excited. One of the more risky projects that DC Comics decided to publish this summer was a project called Wednesday Comics that took uh, an all-star cast of creators like you know Brian Azzarello and Eduardo Riso, Paul Pope, Carl Kershaw, Joe Kubert. Just the list goes on. Mike Allred, Mike Allred, Neil Gaiman, Jimmy Palmiotti, Amanda Connor, like it just these great, you know, Kurt Busiek, all these great names are tied to it. And for twelve weeks, we got a single page of a story printed on oversized newsprint, Sunday comics format, and it was just such a, it was such a fun exploration of the comics format and just celebration of this classic style that we all grew up on that is kind of going by the wayside. I hope they do it again next year. It's going to be great to see it all collected. It was totally a risk, and you know, some things worked, some things didn't, but I like that they tried. And overall, it was better off for happening than not happening. So I loved it. Yes. I'd say that my favorite discovery, I'll call it that, of the year has been The Mighty, and it's just one of those things like it comes out every month. And every month it's fun. And, you know, it started off with Peter Snayberg on art. And it has Chris Somni on art now. And there's a story by uh, Key Champagne and Peter J. Tomasi about a world with this one superhero in it. And he ain't he ain't quite right. He ain't quite it, right in the head. No. And, but it's just, it's been shadowy and creepy and quiet and just a lot of fun. Very, It felt very classic comic book to me in all the best ways. And it's what a, what a great series. You know, it's going to be 12 issues that uh, unless they blow it right at the end, uh, which could happen, but I'm, I'm not going to take that stance. 12 great issues that I know that it's going to be something I'll be referring to for a long time in the way. No that other I, book built like the Mike did all year. No. And it really like at first it didn't seem all that special. And each subsequent chapter you were like, wait, this is pretty good. And the next week, oh, you know what? This is pretty, you know. And by the end, you're like, this is damn good. I don't just mean quality-wise. I mean story-wise. True. Like you, it started off 
like almost like a normal superhero story, and and if each issue you realize this is not right, and that feeling grew every issue until you realized it was definitely not right. And I yep. thought that progression was the biggest strength of the Mighty. Mm-hmm. Great book. For me, 2009, one of the big elements is going to be the return of G.I. Joe. In three books, G.I. Joe, G.I. Joe Cobra, the miniseries, and G.I. Joe Origins, the miniseries turned series because it was so popular. You know, G.I. Joe reboots are the big joke in comics, and they keep trying, they keep failing. I mean, Devil's Due did a, a very long run on it, but for me, it wasn't very good quality-wise. But IDW seems to have hit on something here with the reboot. Having it to be on its own, not tied to the Marvel world, but also still respectful of it. Having the original writer, Larry Hama, on one of the books and getting quality people. And G.I. Joe Cobra was one of the books of the year. Yeah. I think Josh and I will attest to that. But, Absolutely. Uh, 2009 is all about G.I. Joe coming back and cool. being awesome. One of my favorite titles, indie titles, Phonogram, came back with its second series, The Singles Club. It's been sporadically released, you know, no real solid schedule, but every time it comes out, it's for me, it's a personal kind of take the time, enjoy it. Jamie McKelvey's art has just continued to develop. He's becoming such a great artist. Kieran Gillen's story is unique. Each issue is a one and done, but tying to a greater, larger story. It's going to be wrapping up early 2010, but it's been, a, for me, it's been every couple of months, it's been a great, you know, great to get the Phonogram, The Singles Club in my file, in my comic store, and, and, just remind me how much I love this title. It's it's funny. I'm going back over this list that we've just gone through, and we all played up to our individual stereotypes. Totally. So <laughs> much. I mean, like, I was like, BPRD, Invincible, Hellblazer. <laughs> you know, Ron's are all Marvel books, and Connor's got all his. Well, no, not all of them are Marvel. I, I, it's, a, it's a joke. Captain Britain is the X-Men, Fantastic Four is Marvel, Mar- Nova Marvel, yeah, Wednesday Comics, it's kind of and then, more. And then yeah. You know, like, we all, we all had one thing that was like, I had the Mighty, you know, that was the thing. We all had one thing, but so Connor yeah. Chu and G.I. Joe, yeah. yeah. I'm going to end this with Scalped, because <laughs> why not just fulfill everybody's expectations of who I am? Uh, it's been another really great year from Scalped. It's not that there was a bad year, but this last storyline that's been going on, the gnawing, has me at the edge of my seat in a way that comic books very rarely do. And it's the best it's been since the early issues, I think. Absolutely. And and it's the yeah. feeling that things are going to change. They have to change. I can't imagine how much fun it's going to be to read this trade paperback for those of you reading in that format. It's going to be fantastic. Um, and, you know, it, the love is right there on the page that Jason Aaron has for this story. I think he know you know, he doesn't have to do this anymore if he doesn't want to. He's exclusive for Marvel. He's getting plenty of work from them. And he does it because, you know, because he loves this story. And it's this is his great. preacher. This is his Why the Last Man. This yeah. is his, you know, this is Ex Machina. This is his book that he loves. This is personal tale. Yeah. And it's it's been it's been great. There's no denying it. It's been fantastic. Yeah. So those were our uh, favorite books of 2009. Uh, it's a good grouping. I think if you go and buy all these books, you will enjoy comics. <laughs> all of them. All of them. Normally, at the end of the show, we end with talking about the, the two best people working in comics, which was totally arbitrary number. So this year, we decided for another arbitrary number for three of the best people working in comics. We each chose one. Right? We each chose one. Josh, why don't you start us off and tell us why you think this guy's the best working guy I, working in comics. I picked Greg Rucka, and I picked him because he has been one of my favorite Fun, writers. Funnily enough, no Greg Rucka books in the <laughs> list we just did. No, and that's, I think that actually says something about it. But, you know, he was a guy who... When I was really getting into comic books, not when I first came back, but when I was like, you know, let's take all this stuff seriously. Like he really made me love some comic books and I think that he's fantastic at them. And then he went through the 52 thing and he, he dropped off a little bit like it burned him out. He said so. He put out work during that time, but not a lot of it. And it was pretty good. But this last year, he's 
come back and he's come back strong and he's made me remember that you know greg rucka is you know one of my top three favorite writers in comic books and is one of the reasons that i love comic books the way that i do today and i I feel i owe him for that like that's how how big of a deal that i think he's played in the way that i read comics and this year you know with his work on detective and his work on action and world of new krypton and I can't wait to see more of it soon. But um, his and the new, one issue Stumptown, yeah, his new Stumptown <laughs> yeah. book, which I think, you know, when it, when we get it, it's going to be great. I really do think so. The one we got was was exactly the kind of thing that I want. Wow, that's been two months, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but really, I, I think he's had he's had a great year, and it's just great to see him back at full strength and and seeing. I mean, seeing the way that people, I don't honestly, I'm not sure why we didn't put Detective Comics on that list. Detective should be on that list. Detective let's should be, yeah. See, all let's add into yeah, the list. Add, we, we all, all three of us that. love Detective. J. H. Williams is amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah and so. no, but that's the thing is that, and I and I like J. J. H. Williams just fine. But I'm actually not the biggest fan of his. I appreciate the craft, um, yeah. but the glue of that is that if that was a book that didn't have a story that anybody cared about, people wouldn't be talking about it. Yep. And Greg Rucka is right in his zone on that book, and it is it is a joy. Ron, who's the best guy working in comics right now? For me, the, the, the one guy that's working in comics that I'm the most excited about that I want to keep my eye on is Darwin Cook. This year, 2009, is kind of like we talked a lot about the superhero titles and, and you know kind of ongoing issue titles. But a big story of 2009 was it really has been the year of the graphic novel. There have been amazing amounts of graphic novels coming out, single volume, you know, like Dave Mazzuchelli's Asterius Polyp and, you know, Jeff Lemire, Matt Kent. And like all these people that we've been talking about all through the year have just been – it's been one great graphic novel after another, different than the issue kind of form amount of comics. It's, it's the evolution that we've all said is coming. It really took a stride this year. And one of the best examples of that was Darwin with his work on uh, Parker the Hunter, the, the adaptation of uh, Richard Stark's uh, The Hunter. The, the title is so long. But the <laughs> adaptation is awkward. The, yeah, the adaptation of Donald Westlake's classic crime novels. And a couple weeks ago, I wrote a piece on fanboy.com about, you know, the kind of the things of the 2000s that Wizard forgot. And I was really, uh, the Wizard magazine, I was really pissed off that they didn't mention Darwin once because, and I, I stand by my belief that Darwin Cook is the creator of the decade. Because if you look at what he's done is that he came in in 2000, he worked on Catwoman, he helped d- define how we see Catwoman you know, now with that costume and everything like that. Then he did the New Frontier, which was just amazing, and he did the DVD adaptation of New Frontier, and then he did a monthly series with the Spirit. And Parker has been the next evolution in his career, which is now he has earned the right to do whatever the f- hell he wants, how he wants to do it, and he's doing it with Parker, and it's a success. And, and also not to mention he drops in and does a great issue of Jonah Hex and another yep. – you know, covers he's, he's for the does, last resort yeah like yeah. yeah here and there he'll drop in and do amazing work just randomly and yep. he's just great and on top of that you would think that he's very you know he's got he's got a bit of a retro style and he's you know and he he's not he's not the youngest of creators and stuff like that and you think that he would be you know kind of true to the you know the history of comics but we interviewed him in San Diego and he went off, I didn't even anticipate it went off about how digital is the future of comics and like so he's so tuned in to what a creator needs to do to be a success on their own terms better than any other creator I think that's out there right now. And he's never put out anything bad. It's amazing. And Parker blew away everyone's expectation. That was a risk doing that book. It was such a yep. risk. And he was the darling of San Diego, one of the darlings of San Diego. And you know, in a year with so many other great things, the Asterius Polyp was great. And I love that book as well. But for me, as a, from a creator standpoint, like I don't know when Mazzuchelli's going to do anything next. I know that Darwin's working on the next Parker book, and I can't wait. Well, for me, if you talk about superhero comics in 2009, you have to talk about Jeff Johns, who I think owns the superhero totally. in comics. He ta- from Green Lantern to Superman's Secret Origin to The Flash to Blackest Night to Adventure Comics to everything 
he wrote in 2009, I can't remember a bad thing, too. Even he did some Justice Society, I think, right at the end, didn't he? Yep. He, he, the very beginning of the year. It's just everything he wrote, I was excited for. If, it, if his name was on a book and it involved superheroes in some way, that I knew it was going to get a good read. And I think he owns DC right now. He shapes DC. I, I think everything runs through him, whether officially or unofficially. I think he has got his hands at the controls the same way Bendis does at Marvel. And we talked about this last year, too, because he also did the same thing. I think Jeff Johns has been our best people working comics in three years in a row now yeah for it's a reason been, it's been a remarkable ascendance and i think at the end of last year we could have been like if this is if this is how he's gotten good enough and he's surpassed that which is pretty it's high i mean he's architecting an event that no one's bitching about it being an event you know which you, you look at what marvel's done with secret invasion and stuff like that we go event fatigue i don't hear anyone saying event fatigue with blackest night yeah and also just the fact that he He's taking Superman, and Superman's Secret Origin is fantastic. Plus, his action comics works in the beginning of the year. He owns the Green Lantern corner of the world. He's going to own the Flash corner of the world. He's, he's not writing the Superman books, but they're writing his story. He started the story. He did the Bible, yeah. yeah. And yeah, they're all his doing, people working on them now. Yeah, and, and he's rewriting his history of Secret Origin. I mean, he's basically, you know, of all the major worlds, the only one he's not in control of is Batman. Everyone yeah. else is, is running through Jeff Johns. He's and doing a Batman book next year. He's doing that OGN, that one OGN. Yeah, it's great. He's he's Jeff Jeff Johns is, is an amazing creator. He's an amazing writer, and he loves cereal. Yes, How can you love cereal, like cereal, Slurpees, and superhero. Well, comics? you know, I mean, the thing is, the dude loves what he's doing. He loves writing these books, and he owned up and he bought a comic book store. Like he now he's a retailer too. Like he believes in comics. Like he, you know, like uh, such a level of dedication, and his heart is in it, and you can tell. And like when you talk to him, like we've had the you know the opportunity to interview and stuff like that. You ask him questions, like I asked him about the flat. He was doing flash rebirth, and I was you know trying to get some info out of him, and he gets this goofy grin on his face, like because and you know he wants to tell you, but he knows he wants you to read it and experience it the way he's written it. Yeah. Yeah, we interviewed him when Flash Rebirth came out. We did a whole long show on ifanboy.com, and then we talked to him after the whole interview, and he just loves not only writing, he loves talking about these, not just his comics, every comic. Dude wears a Green you know? Lantern hat. Yep. And not like... He just Ironically. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, totally. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta respect that. He loves these things. He loves his comics. He loves writing them. He loves everything about them, and that really shines through in his works, and that's, I think, why he's one of the best people working in comics for three years in a row now. Cool. So there you have it. So Greg Rucka, Darwin Cook, Jeff Johns, best three people working in comics. A lot of comics that we talked about for you to go check out. And if you like comics, you got to go to ifanboy.com. Josh, why do they have to do that? They would do that because there's stuff there about yep. comics that we write <laughs> and the people on our staff write, and they just do good work. If you like the stuff that's on the show, you're missing out by not going to ifanboy.com. You can go there and read all the stuff that we have there. Go to ifanboy.com slash about, and you will see all the social networking links for who we are and where you can get in touch with us on the web. You can watch all of the old shows and old video, old uh, podcasts and everything. You can go back and listen to the previous All Media Roundups, for example, if you wanted to do that. The video show is back kicking and driving along like it always was. Last week, there was the mini show it was that well, that's what it was you know what that means there was a bunch of different little things that we we did on our own because we don't like to talk to each other anymore we've hit late stage beatles yep. period now yep it's it's the it's our white album this <laughs> this next week we are talking about the book of the year every month there was a book of the month and we tally them all up and we come up with what we thought was the book of the year so make sure to check out what that is you can email us at contact.ifanboy.com or you can leave a voicemail at 888-FANBOYS, which is 942-56... No, wait, I got that wrong. 326-2697 uh, with any questions, comments, concerns, discussion topics, or recipes. 
<laughs> Bring the recipes. We also do member.com, which is where we talk about music and TV and movies and technology and lifestyle and literature and all the stuff that doesn't fit into the comic book book banner, all the stuff we talked about here in the show, we do over at member.com. So you can head over there if you want to hear our thoughts on all this stuff in media. We do a bi-weekly podcast as well, so you can check that out. And you can go over to Murmur, write your own articles, review people's articles, comment, discuss. Everything happens over at member.com. You can email <laughs> us at contact at murmur.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash murmur. That's where we announce new articles and all kinds of stuff going on at twitter.com slash murmur. And if you like iFanboy and if you like Murmur, go to iTunes, write a review of the, the podcast, write a review, of, tell everyone what you think of it, share your thoughts of it. It's a great way for to help people discover new shows and validates them when they choose to download it and that sort of thing. And spread the word. Tell your friends about iFanboy, tell your friends about Murmur. If you like movies, if you like music, if you like comics, the, we're making podcasts. We like it too. We're making podcasts for you to enjoy it. Five Bucks says you've got friends that enjoy it too. Share, spread the word. And 2009's been a, it's been a year. <laughs> don't, don't, try to, don't try to get poetic now. <laughs> it's definitely been – we want to thank everybody for listening to the shows both on and, and for participating on ifanboy.com and murmur.com. The community, the, your main reason why we do it and we want to thank you all. Without you guys, we wouldn't be here. It's been a year. I think that's a good, that's a good it's, summary. It's been a year. It's like my description of mayhem. It was a comic <laughs> book. So, no, it, is, it has been a year. And it's, been a, it's been a fun year. It's been a rough year. It's been a ta- long year. It's been a tiring year. It's been a happy year. It's been a sad year. Bring on 2010, boys. Bring on 2010. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't fare well with the odd numbers. <laughs> I went to the dentist and he was like, do you grind your teeth? It's been, it's been a little stressful. <laughs> Not going to lie. All right, so thanks for listening, and hope you have a great. Hope you had a great 2009 as well, and be sure to go to both sites and share your thoughts and opinions on on all these topics. And until next time, I'm Ron. I'm Connor. I am Josh. I am-